Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It is August the 7th of 2019. It's our first August episode of the year, Chris. You know what that means? It means nothing, because August isn't a special month. But we do have special months coming up. So. Yeah, well, August is my mom's birthday, so that felt uncalled for, Nick. Doesn't, doesn't Not special at all, sorry. Yeah, well, <laughs> we went to Red Robin anyway, so I, what could you do about that? That's her choice, by the way. For people who are like, Good. why are you taking your mom somewhere cheap? She wants Red Robin, all right? Good for people who like Red Robin. I don't like the Red Robin, but no, not hey. Particularly. But, Nick, uh, I need to tell you a little bit of a story. Okay. Uh, so, I, well, as I mentioned, it was my mom's birthday this past weekend. Yes. We celebrated it. Uh, went out with the family to Red Robin, came back, was hanging out downstairs, went to go check out my phone, and I don't know how much of this is going to come up on the video, uh, but that's my I phone currently looks like right now where there's oh, a giant well, street down in the middle of the lines yeah it's it's yeah. fucked it's completely fucked and i was like well that's unfortunate well better get my wallet out and get ready to pay for a uh a replacement well like i have phone insurance so i was like let me get that deductible okay okay lost my bank card as well apparently <gasps> at some point <laughs> and can i just note that losing your bank card and your phone breaking at the same time is like a yeah, what are you supposed to do? <laughs> matrix of inconvenience that I've never experienced before where it's like, I can't do anything with this phone and I can't get a new one for another week and a half to whenever this new card shows up. And it's just this weird I can't moment. Use, I can't. I can't have any of my bank information pulled up on my phone. I can't. I can't do anything. Like I'm constantly getting calls to people being like, "Hey, your payment just got declined." I was like, "I know, but I can't call you to tell you this." So I don't know what to do. You're just gonna have to wait a week. Jesus Christ! And I was like, I, I think the only way it could like reach a, a level above that is if I had lost my driver's license at the same time. Like, if all three of those things happened, I'd be like, oh, okay. Then I, I clearly pissed off a genie or something like that. And this, this is my comeuppance. But just note, guys, if you ever, if your phone ever breaks, for the love of God, the first thing to make sure is uh, make sure your card's there and okay, because otherwise you're going to be in for uh, for a week. <laughs> Yeah, man, I've found like homeless people who have working phones and bank accounts. And <laughs> well, and I guess maybe this is a shout out to T-Mobile. So I went to T-Mobile and they gave me like a recycled phone, which I could use in the interim. Oh, that's um, cool. The phone doesn't work, really. Oh, okay. So uh, you ever get group text messages? Yes. So they don't work for me. I can't send to the group with my phone so well this phone seems to be similar in that if if someone sends a group text message it'll cut their message will come to me directly as a as a file to download oh god that, is, that if i download will then add it to the group conversation but not in the order of which it's supposed to be in and many of the messages just don't download all together at all so i get like half of a conversation essentially and uh out of order so that's that's how the phone works for me so uh you know uh beggars can't be choosers i can still receive phone calls so like you know the president decides no not the president um someone responsible yeah i was um, like uh if 
Uh, Cara Delevingne decides to call me. She finally is like, you're too irresistible. I can't, I can't stand it anymore. I need to talk to you. Uh, she can finally do it because I'll have my phone ready. But, uh, God forbid if she asks me to a group text and tries to do it. I'm sorry, Cara. That's where she's like, she's like in front of all these people. I want you to know that I'm returning. I'm returning your love. Wait, why won't you say anything? <laughs> was I too late? <laughs> it was. It's her adding all these topics. It's like say my, nothing more. <laughs> she's like, "Hey, I know this is unorthodox. I add myself to your little sister's birthday party trip plans just to let you know." <laughs> I was like, "Man, I have a lot of cousins whose numbers I don't recognize. I can't download their files, but I'm sure it's nothing, nothing to concern myself with. That's for sure." Someone made a group text. Um for like a group project that i had to do uh last semester and i was like oh my god st- stop <laughs> because they were all just doing you know the thing that people do which is uh, yeah sure okay but you know it's like five of them doing it and they're doing it while i'm trying to go to sleep because i sleep during the day <laughs> so i was like ah mute this <laughs> i i have that problem nick in that i have a, a group of friends who i play magic the gathering with and uh, mm. we have a group together at Facebook that we talk about magic. And I guess it's it should be expected when it's a group of mostly like nerds who are single uh, mm-hmm. that it goes on. But you'll get like until I turned off notifications, I'd be getting messages at the three in the morning being like, do you think this guy's a good commander staple or not? And then like 40, <laughs> like a 40 minute argument would persist. And I, one of the guys in that group chat who's up there, I'm like, you have a child, you have a newborn child. How are you up at 4am in long protracted arguments about this? He's like, why wouldn't I be up at 4am with a newborn <laughs> child? <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anyway, we should get into this mm-hmm. because we do have a lot of manga to talk about today. We've got like a baker's dozen chapters to go through. But there's going to be a whole lot of, well, this kind of happened, I think, this week. Uh, there were a few here and there standout moments in the manga that we discussed. But there were a lot of things where it was like, well, this vague idea kind of happened. And you'll see, I'm going to be a little bit un- unenthusiastic about a, a couple of different chapters this week. And in fact, one of them is is My Hero Academia, number 238, Liberation. Last time we had the big thing, completed Chigaraki's backstory. We had a great sequence of chapters leading up to that. Uh, this one opens where the last one closed with him removing his father's hand from his face and disintegrating it because he now finds it unnecessary. And uh, then his battle with Redestro begins again. And Redestro tries to launch like a wave of his stress attack thing again mm-hmm. and Chigaraki just does what he did before and disintegrates it before it reaches him so it doesn't harm him and but like the rest of the wave is like launching this huge wave of destruction through the town we see Gigantomachia is rushing through stuff and Chigaraki's like yeah your attack's not a big deal I just have to you know destroy it before it connects with me so whatever and he also says that you know, he understands what Redestro is doing. He wants to destroy anything that annoys him. But Redestro objects and says, no, my power is just a stepping stone. I have a purpose. I, I'm going to liberate the people. See Destro's will uh, fulfilled. But he's thinking to himself as he removes something from his belt and this armor stops wrapping around him that he feels something, this pounding pulse. But he 
doesn't think that it's fear because he converts his fear into power. It's a form of stress. Then why am I feeling this? He has a flashback to when he was a child and he was already being prepared by the Liberation Army to see Destro's will fulfilled. And he was already dedicating himself to that purpose. And he's trying to figure out why he actually feels less stressed right now, why he's not as powerful as he was a moment ago. And he puts on Detnerat's patented burden-amplifying steel pressure mechanism, Claustro. That doesn't uh, that doesn't form that acronym at all, Chris. It doesn't, no. That... Well, I, well, I assume it's supposed to be uh, one of those kind of funky New Age acronyms that don't really make sense. <laughs> so I don't think there's a C. Well, mechanism, there's a C. So C is in the last word of there, which is why it's the first. Right. Uh, there's an L. L. L and A from amplifying, uh-huh. U from pr- burden, S from pressure. Uh-huh. All these, yeah. This is how ST. No wait, ST from steel, R from pressure twice, and there's there's no O at all in that, Chris. Uh, <laughs> well, so here's the thing, Nick. Uh, here's here's how it works. So. Uh, the real acronym is how you draw a line from all the letters there over to Claustro without any of the lines intersecting. So oh, circle when you yeah, do that. exactly. Uh, so uh, that's how that's how you get the whole thing together. It's we're, smart. Mm-hmm. we're smart. We're <laughs> smart. We figured it out. You can't beat us, uh, my hero academia. So he, of course, does the, you know, super shonen thing, saying that this is amplifying his stress to 150 percent. And I love Shikaraki just says as he charges towards him. "Eh, That's nice. It just doesn't give give any any of a fuck at all. Uh, People are reacting now to Gigantomachia's presence in the city. Mr. Compress contacts the professor and says, hey, you need to warp us or Maki is going to kill us all. And the doctor says, are you trying to kill little Johnny? His, you know, little gnome that teleports them. He's like, what are you talking about? Well, he gets a dreadful case of tonsillitis with every warping. And Mr. Compress is like, I don't give a shit. (laughs) Also, (laughs) Also, I know that you're lying because we've never had a problem with warping us before. So the doctor just says, like, look. You're being tracked right now. I'm not going to warp you here. So kill them or get them to stop tracking you. And then I'll and then you can and then I'll maybe I'll think about it. And Mr. Compress, of course, says Shigaraki is going to die. And the doctor says, look, this is exactly what he needs. He needs to be pushed into a corner. Uh, we cut over to the ice guy, that well-developed character. Uh-huh. Um who flashes back as he charges in towards Gigantomachia. Uh, and we see the Redestro, you know, was trusting him. You know, he trusted him to handle Dobby in this situation because they will be so dangerous in this fight. Uh, he's like, yo, you are central to the Liberation Army success. And Gettin says, sorry, Redestro. Sorry for worrying you. So with what? Because uh, I guess for a moment... We're meant to believe that he's like, sorry, I can't stop him. But it's like, no, sorry, I didn't stop him soon enough, but without consequence, like like a cool guy kind of way of doing it. Like, it's like, then, sorry, sorry for ever making you worry at all. Ah, and then he sorry, I didn't do it earlier. Yeah, he gets slapped away. Uh, 
so all the parts of this arc, this is still the thing that's confusing me the most that we had like a direct setup for like Dobby versus Ice Dude. It was just Ice Dude for the longest time. We know his name's getting now, I believe. Maybe we learned <laughs> it earlier. I'm kind of dumb. Um, but like that was there and kind of presented for like two or three chapters. And I feel like at this point, it would just be better to just ignore that it ever happened. Like maybe we're still at a point. Like, that we could continue the fact that there were these small, little, kind of smaller conflicts happening, like Spinner trying to get to the guy who's pumping everyone up. Sure. Maybe there was a decision that was made that they're like, this arc, as a fun experiment, is going on too long. Like, maybe readers will get tired. Wrap it up. Get to Shigaraki's backstory. Come on. Like, let's start getting back to the main character. Like, maybe they're like, hey, let's not do an entire arc with none of the main characters at all. Uh, But it is this weird, like afterthought that i feel like we're like cutting to now and then being like my name's getting and i was uh, a very integral part of our team uh because i'm here to stop dobby and i'm definitely go oh no i've been knocked away perhaps you'll see me again <laughs> so that happens then there's an odd moment because gigantomachia as he's crashing through rubble people are reacting to him Causing all this devastation. He cry, he cries out, Master Successor! And then on the next page, we see him react in shock. I think. It's just his face. and I, be- I had- believe so. I, I believe what is meant to be happening right here is Gigantomachia was showing up to actually help... Uh, or maybe even he was coming to just fight what's his name to Shigaraki and him. And then right. he shows up and he sees Shigaraki because uh, we can't tell exactly how big Claustro is, but it looks pretty huge. So maybe already Redestro is already towering over him. Yeah, so. so maybe he's seen because it looks like Shigaraki just kills him like right now. It looks like he did something to tear him apart or do something. Maybe it's like reacting to that. Maybe it's a sensation where he's like, oh, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he got he got good. <laughs> Dude. Oh, wow, that, well, that's that's kind of fucked up, man. I mean, like, I'm a, I'm a huge guy who lives in the woods. And even I'm just like, Jesus, dude. <laughs> Jesus, my man. Come on, dude. Stop being broken. Hey. <laughs> that's hacks. Yeah. So. Oh, go ahead. Go no, ahead. I was just going to say, it's, it's not entirely clear what happens in the last panel here. We just have a sound effect of shoom. And yeah. there's some there's some shaking and what looks like buildings falling and power lines falling. So maybe he's doing more. Maybe it's like not just killing Redestro, but it's also like destroyed other stuff as well. I'm not entirely certain. I'm just saying that it seems as though we're supposed to get that he's he's going in super strong Gigato Machia. And then sees the situation, and even Gigantomachia, who is unhurtable, he's the Brock Lesnar of My Hero Academia, even he's like, oh shit. I think that's what we're supposed to be getting here. I'm not, I'm not positive, though. Possible. The thing that uh, Redestro is saying at this point is that, uh, you know, he... The goal of the Liberation Army is, you know, not to suppress abilities, is to liberate them. But the, but this man, you know, it's as if he's been utterly liberated. Yes. What I'm feeling in my chest is. 
So we once again get that thing from Shonen Battle series that I hate so much, which is no one will fucking say what they're thinking mm-hmm. in order to build tension. Uh, you know, like maybe it's like a maybe it's just, you know, the different sentence structures of Japanese that make it sound less awkward. Uh, if you like look at a sentence in Japanese and English, then like the subject and objects don't always wind up in the same spots, for example. Uh, but God, so annoying. And I don't know what the fuck happens in like the last three pages of this manga. It's really annoying because, you know, there is another series this week where I don't know what the hell happens in the action scene. But I'm used to being able to follow along when it comes to My Hero Academia. And for it to be this muddled and weird is distracting and really lessens the impact of it. So, uh, I think there's a couple things that are really good about this chapter and some stuff that's really rough about it. I agree with you. Like Some of the art is tremendously difficult to follow. Uh, and My Hero sometimes avoids this but also times does have a problem with its art where sometimes it's difficult to parse exactly what's happening which you know isn't unthinkable in a series that has like superpowers so you can get kind of obtuse things happening but as you mentioned like it's not really clear what happens in the last page like if he killed redestro or if he's blown up some of the city like i'm listening to people in the chat and everybody seems to have a different idea about what happened so it, it seems as though nobody really knows exactly what happens um, and I, I mentioned this last week, but I, losing the hands really did take away like a creative, like a visual interest point in, in Shigaraki. It, it kind of is okay at the last panel where you like, you see like the eyes and you get a little bit there, but there's a couple panels where he's, he's like, oh, I'm my free new liberated self and I'm being cool. And it just... It's hard to feel that when it just, I don't know, maybe it's just because we read Bleach for too long and I'm like, all right, just a dude in a black cloak just, just like <laughs> shouting para, like a tattered black cloak shouting like bullshit. I get it. Like I've seen that before. So I really am kind of hoping something happens to like give his design a new visual like stick out point or something for me. It's like when, you know, Sasuke went evil and he's like, instead of wearing all these straps and stuff, I'm just going to wear this, you know, white top thing that exposes part of my chest. And it's like, if you look really boring when you wear your chest like that. <laughs> he's like, ooh, are you sure? What if I start opening it a little bit further down? You're like, I don't... Uh, you don't have nipples, dude. You're, uh... <laughs> I don't know how to tell you this. You might have a problem. You're never going to be able to produce milk like that. Art. Anyway, so <laughs> let's go over to Eden Zero. Let's talk Eden Zero, Nick. Chapter 56, Reset. And we kind of didn't discuss this too much last week, but I do kind of like what's happening in the cover pages that, like, last week was Samora bathing yeah. with her, and this time is Samora learning to use her ether gear for the first time with Valkyrie. And I do think it is actually a pretty cool choice if this is what's happening to use the cover pages to kind of give us snapshots of Hamora's life with Valkyrie, while at the same time we're kind of learning that things are probably not going to... Things are not progressing the way we would have thought they would have. Mm-hmm. It's like Valkyrie's like, ooh, I can't wait to see Hamora again and stuff like that. So, But Chris, if we dedicate the cover pages to providing backstory on characters and little visuals like this... 
then how are we going to what how we're going to lose valuable space that could be dedicated to putting Rebecca in cheesecake shots? Like, well, come on, you're not thinking this through. Well, hold on, because I think I I think Hero might have a solution for that coming up in the chapter. So last week, uh, Shiki and Hamura got sent over to where the big boss bug lives, and they weren't strong enough to beat it. And Shiki, uh, much like how. The Dragon Slayers all had a critical weakness to moving vehicles, which was never explained. Uh, Shiki has a traumatic fear of bugs, which uh, he does not like whatsoever. So he's passed out. But it's okay, because Rebecca showed up. Rebecca's going to save the day until she realizes that it's not actually just bugs they have to fight. In which case, she gets very scared again. Uh, but Hamora's like, no, like we're going to fight this thing. Because once I do that, I can remove this collar, and we're going to be able to do this then. So there's got to be some weakness to that. And uh, the the guy who's with her, I can't remember his name. I want to say it's Pete or something like that. It's very close to that, I think. Something along those lines. He's like, uh, My- hey, you know, I'm telling you, it's not good. If you if you kill it, all the metal is just going to go to Madame Kuro and I, and you don't want her to get it. And Namora says, like, my mind's made up, and I will proceed. That's what my mentor taught me. And uh, she activates her ether gi, even though her sword's already broken. So she's about to go into a fight with a broken sword against a monster that is overwhelmingly powerful. So it's a cool setup moment. Yeah, what a badass. Mm-hmm. We, we've kind of had a bit of time to get used to this premise. And we've even seen like a chapter where they, they, they fight against it and lose. So the situation kind of happens where they're like, more what are you gonna do she's like yeah i i can make a new one but it'll take time so pina's like all right well she flies out and like analyzes the creature and she's like well it's its scales are all super strong but it's got one critical weak point on its back that glowing that blinking red spot and i think if you attack that over and over again you'll hit it for massive damage yeah exactly giant enemy dragon Mm -hmm. so homura is like okay well i can't get to it from there but rebecca you jump onto my sword and i will flip you into the air and it's a cool moment because you're like hamora's involved and hey rebecca's gonna get to do something cool and because shiki's unconscious this is a moment for these two kind yeah. of minor characters to stand out so Hamora- there's a cool mo- there's a cool moment to to where you know Rebecca's like, okay, well, don't let me hit the ground. And Homer's like, I shall catch you like I would a princess. Which, if it came out of a dude's mouth, would sound creepy as hell. But because she's saying it's like, what a weird but cool line. <laughs> uh, so she flips Rebecca into the air, and Rebecca's like, yeah. oh no, I don't think I'm going to be able to get there. But oh, no. uh, Shiki recovers from traumatic uh, bug existence i guess it's i guess because the bugs were killed and he doesn't see this as a bug but I, at that point i wonder why they were even bugs to begin with anyway why didn't, he, why didn't he just like go guys i'll use my gravity powers to just lift us up instead of be like no 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 <laughs> because there was about to be a moment and shiki wasn't going to be involved that can't happen so shiki jumps up and like you know, flips him, inverts himself so that he could be a jump pad for Rebecca. So he's, you know, inverted that way, looking up towards her as he launched her off. Sees her flying. But Nick, Rebecca's wearing a skirt. And if we recall, her panties were stolen. So what is, 
What does Shiki get but a full cheesecake shot from below? Whoa! See, Nick, he found a spot for it. Don't worry. Shiki can go fuck himself, okay? <laughs> this uh, fucking kid with all this bullshit. No, you're my friend now. Just like this selfish little XP hoarding asshole has to be like, no, 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 I've got to be involved in Final Combat. I'm not unconscious anymore. Just, fuck off. Let someone else do something. <laughs> It'd have been okay if he just was the one to launch her into the air. Sure. Uh, but he's not, because he also has to do other stuff as well. Anyway, Rebecca gets in the air. She shoots it in the back. Uh, Shiki grabs the creature by its neck and basically, like, DDTs it, essentially. And because its weak side is now exposed onto the ground, uh, Homura attacks it for massive, massive damage and kills it. So and Homura doesn't even catch Rebecca. She lied. Cheeky has to catch her. It's a real issue. Wow, he does. Actually, I didn't notice that. Homura is really going to have a lot to explain to do. Yeah. In a better series. She was too busy trying to look cool with her follow through pose. In a better series. And maybe I should say this. Maybe I, let's give let's give Ian Zero the benefit of the doubt. This should come up next chapter, where she, or or at a point later on down the line, that in the same chapter that Amora said, "Don't worry, I'll catch you like I would a princess," uh, does doesn't even attempt to catch her when she's flying. No. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, we'll see what happens. Anyway, the creature starts disappearing because all the metals going to Madame Kerr and I, uh, their little uh, collars start counting down. But then once it hits zero, it just resets. It goes back to 100,000 again. And uh, the guy's like, yeah, dick shit. They're never going to fucking let you out of here. <laughs> I don't know why you thought they would. <laughs> so they're like, yeah, you're just going to spend your whole lives here. So it doesn't work. So he just steals their collars because I guess he has that power. <laughs> and you're like, huh. I understand. <laughs> A certain level where you're like, I don't trust them, and maybe this was an opportunity to see what they could do. Uh, but it was also just noted that all the metal goes straight to Madame Kuranai, so maybe instead why of letting he her just say, get like, all the boss... Why didn't he just say, guys, you don't need to fight that thing. Let's just leave, and I'll take your collars off. Like, come why? on! <laughs> like, he, he gave them... I can understand the level of, like, I wanted to see how much to their word they're willing to be. But at the same time, Madam Kerr and I just got all the boss loot. So yeah, he's always planning on doing this according to what he says, because he's like, I could have left here at any time if I wanted to, but I thought that we might meet here. So I stayed and waited. So this was his entire reason for staying in this hellhole, And he didn't keep them on track by saying like, no, ignore that thing. You're just going to give Kerr and I what she wants for no reason. Let me take the collars off for you. Here, it literally takes me half a second to do. Check out these panties I also stole. <laughs> Rebecca, since we don't have the action shot now of you flying through the air, can you just like lift your skirt and get it over with? Uh, <laughs> so, as it's well, pointless, all the stuff that they just did. <laughs> well, you know, it's not all pointless because he hands Hamora the same BQB he gave to Rebecca. So I guess everyone gets one. And Hamora's breasts part themselves so the, that. The inner part of her chest can also get a view of this BQ, I suppose. 
Hang on, my third eye hidden in my cleavage needs to look at this thing. <laughs> it really, like, I, I almost wish the question mark exclamation mark I wish we, was just like a burp sound effect to like, explain why her breast just like opened outwards. It's like it's like that you know boing sound effect, but it's like a boing, <laughs> uh, like servos moving and clicking. Uh, so we go inside Madame Curanai's headquarters as she, I believe, has made the guy from previous, like, uh, the previous situation uh, into her bondage pet slave because... With, like, an iron mask on, which is a nice touch. Yeah, because so. he's a hideous monster now. No one will love him. Uh, so she makes it mention that he's like, oh, well, he thought he was cute, so I thought I'd keep him at a as a pet for a while. And we see Nino's like, that's disgusting. And I can't remember this guy's name. And he's like, oh, I wouldn't. It's a really, it's, it's a really complex name. Don't worry about it. It was so. like Fuka or Baku or something yeah. along those lines. But I cannot remember it. Anyway, who cares? He's going to be beaten to this arc. Step, he's like, game. step on me. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's, he's, he's the creepy one. But uh, Madame Corna is like, no, I don't care. I'm furious right now because I heard that Valkyrie's followers are planning an uprising. So I found another source of revenue. Let's burn the labor district to ashes. Isn't that the thing that makes you money? <laughs> Look, this She's is... like, I found another source of revenue. I don't need any more. I mean, you could use both. Look, all right. This isn't the most thought out plan. But give her some time. And she's eventually like, oh, wait. Systemic oppression instead of systemic annihilation leads to a lot more money in the long term. So, uh... We'll just make everyone pay for insurance or something like that instead. <laughs> pay for not being set on fire and disintegrate insurance. Yeah, I'm like, oh, that's pretty you sweet. You missed the payment. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? It's not bad, though. It's the best one on the market. <laughs> so that's the chapter this week, Nick. Great chapter. I mean, that's one way of putting it. Let's I, talk a little bit. Of, go ahead. I was going to say, I do think... That there are parts of this arc I really do like, but whereas last chapter was one where they were more good than bad, and it was kind of easier to just pinpoint the bad, uh, this one is more bad than good, and I'm kind of trying to focus in on the parts of it that were kind of okay, rather than being like, why did we fight that giant monster just to give Madame Coronite all the resources from it? I'll give the Steen zero. It always gives us something to talk about. <laughs> Move on to Beast Children for a little bit. Uh, this chapter is all about Wanibuchi, and hey, we actually like learned something about him. I, look, if Beast Children had had like five more chapters of like this, I'd be really upset that it were going to get canceled soon because this was actually legit good and shows potential for like what this series could be in terms of showing what Shishigaya's mentor meant to the individual members of the team. I like the argument that the two of them have over what uh, his best qualities were, uh, because Wanibuchi loves the way that the, the, his kicks annihilates those. And of course, Shishigaya analyzes tackles and they're like, what? No, his tackling was way better. It's like, no, his kicks were better. And they get into a fight over that, but they kind of bond over it while they're still opposing each other. It's cool stuff. Mm-hmm. And, they also end up bonding because Shishigaya is like, hey, you know, your kicks are really, really beautiful. You, they're, you're, they're really cool. And there's a point where he's distracted from this because he's a big old Sunsun and he kicks the ball and it goes off course. And Shishigaya goes and he catches it, even though he can't really do anything with it. 
And he's just like, it, it was just so beautiful. It looked really easy to catch. And it's a really cool shot the, when he when he does actually bring it in. Uh, it's a cool action shot. And uh, there's a lot of good stuff in this chapter, I think. And like I said, if there were more of this going on in Beast Children, I would like it a hell of a lot more than I do right now, where I'm just going to like, whatever. So Yeah, this, this would have been a great chapter six. It's a little late as a chapter 11. Mm-hmm. Which I know seems weird, because you're like, it's only five weeks apart, but... Like, these early weeks for a series are so crucial that you really can't miss out on these. Anyway, let's talk about a series that also started slow, but, you know, it's got Kishimoto riding it, so whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So it'll never go away. (laughs) Samurai 8, Chapter 13, I Saw a Hero. And I saw stuff that I didn't really understand happening all through this chapter. What happens in this chapter? There's a fight, I guess. Hachimaru, I think he grows an uh, he grows a hand back. I know that much, and I know that because he didn't have a hand before, and then he has a second hand later. But the shot where his hand grows back, I didn't understand that that was happening because it wasn't drawn very effectively. And then he uses both hands on his sword to do something. Well, he has an afterburner, and it gives him more strength. The text is explaining <laughs> what is happening in these shots. Otherwise, I would not know what happens. It, it, I'll be honest. The text could say anything, and I'd be like, ah, of course. Uh, and I'd nod to go along with it, because I have uh, no idea. Like, when he's like, with both hands, and I'm like, aren't, isn't one of those hands yours? And I guess it's not. But from that angle, it's really hard to tell. So I was just like, Sure, absolutely. <laughs> With both hands, uh-oh. So he manages to fend off Ada for a second. He comes back in to strike again, and it's like, oh, Hachimaru, I guess, did everything he could in that instance. So what is he going to do now? Well, Dharma managed to, to come in. He he woke up from his sleep cycle, Chris. Hibernation rebooted him and all that stuff. And so he's like, I will take over here. And Ana's like, oh, look at Hachimaru's body. And I'm like, what about Hachimaru's body? I haven't gotten a good look at it since between the time he got the sword out and the time that you said that. What's wrong with his body? And so Dharma's like, don't worry, he won't die. And then Hagamichi, I kid you not, says literally, actually, now I can move again. And I'm like, sure, sure you can. You're fine, I guess. <laughs> I, I guess this is a, a plot point we have to just recognize exists in this series that Every samurai can regenerate, but it is not ever treated like it's like the story just needs you to accept that regeneration takes time on a very nebulous scale. So it'll happen. It's just in the background and characters are indisposed of for a little bit, but they are regenerating slowly or something along those lines. Well, it's like other series do that with the like a character seems injured and then they get their second win and come back in at a crucial moment. But I don't know. It feels easier to accept when that just happens as opposed to there being an in-universe explanation of, oh, they needed time for their wounds to go again. Like, I guess when you pause to think about it, it kind of makes it worse, basically. Well, I'll be honest. My, my The thing that holds me at this right now is i'm like i still don't know who you are (laughs) i'm like i don't i don't know your name 
And I only vaguely have an idea why you're in this story. Like, you've never been presented to us as a character, really. Oh, you're talking about Hagamichi at this point. Or, or Hachikaku, is that his name? Hagamichi, Hagamichi is the samurai that came with, with Anne. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, I don't I don't know who you are. This would be like if during the Arlong fight there was a moment where like Johnny and Yasaka are like, our arms are free, let's get into this. And you're like, I don't I barely remember you two. <laughs> Aren't you the guys who give Zoro the two swords he used to fight Mihawk, and that's uh, all that I remember you being important for? And I say that they have a really cool moment at one point during the arc, but even then, you're like, yeah, we're not gonna like cut to them in the middle of the big fight and be like, well, now they can get involved. Just for them to be like, don't worry, I'll be off here in the background. <laughs> like, all right, we're gonna need to like at some point like rank the most and least memorable temporary Straw Hat allies. Like, you know, there, you know, there's like, there's like VV is high up on there. You'd be like the top of the list. Right. But then there's, and then, you know, Carrot, we'll see how, how high up she stays, you know, when we're a year separated from this arc. Unless she joins the Straw Hats. Uh, but then, yeah, there's Johnny and Yusaku. There's what? There's Kami, Hachimaru for a little, not Hachimaru, just Hachi. Hachi, Hachi himself right. was. But Kami was the more like significant one for a period of time. Lola and... I don't know. There's like there's some that just joined with them for an arc, but there's some that like joined them previously and hung around for a little bit. We're traveling with them for a little while, yeah, and then they left. Anyway, so yeah, there we go. Just gave teching an idea for a video. So <laughs> he needs them, Nick. He needs them. <laughs> He's laundering without these. <laughs> anyway, so there's another weird shot. <laughs> I'm sorry. Look. I know that we that we're weekly manga recap, and there I know that we don't exactly always say like, oh yeah, we are experts in the field of manga ology, and we know we study this shit, we know our stuff. We don't exactly pretend to to be like that, but I think that there is a certain level of reading comprehensive abilities that is expected from us from doing this week after week for years. And I'm just and I literally I'm just looking at this chapter and I'm like, Dharma says, I'm going to take over here. Cool. Ada's like the wild hound has become a cat eyed softy. You used to be a different master. You were hard on your pupils. And then he spots the food that has fallen over, I guess. Is that what you know? Dharma turns away from him. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? And he's rocking towards the food. I forget what these are called. I'm sorry. It's a Japanese like squid octopus ball thing. Oh, Oko Okonami or something like that. Okonomiyaki. Something like that. Anyway, so he puts his sword away. Dharma does. And instead picks up a toothpick from the food. And I was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, that's a good question. I don't know what he does here. So I was like, I won't be mocked this way. And then Dharma says, while holding up the toothpick, Congo Yasha style dog paddle. And Ada sent flying through the air. There's an explosion and suddenly he's flying backwards through the air. And everyone's attending to Hachimaru's father. And Dharma flies up after Ada. And he, this part, I at least know what he does. <laughs> He puts a whole bunch of energy around the toothpick to summon this huge, terrifying dog's head that 
like closes down on Ada and drives him into the ground and kills him, basically. I know what happens there. I don't know what happens to send him flying up into the sky to begin with. No. Like, so people are saying, they're like, yeah, it's like the Mihawk thing. Yeah, I know. I get it's the Mihawk thing where it's showing that he he's just as deadly with a tiny weapon, like a toy, essentially, as he is with the real thing. But what causes the thing to start? Because he picks up a toothpick, says dog paddle. I guess he maybe he like uppercuts it, but there's there's never a point of contact scene between Daruma and Atta that launches Atta into the air. It just seemingly happens. It's it's almost as though somebody like he was like uh, uppercut, like whispered to like a wrestling match. He's like uppercut, <laughs> but like just completely missed the cue. And he so he sold it. <laughs> so he sold it, but the guy didn't actually do the move. He's the like, guy, I, I guess <laughs> it's the finishing sequence. I just got to do it. He's like, ah, shit, I'll just do it again. And he fucking whatever Hanzo says for his his ult. So he's defeated Ada. Cool. So then they're like, all right. And then Dharma comes back down and he looks really shriveled up slash soaked. I'm not really sure. He describes himself as a wet cat, but he looks kind of shriveled up to me. Anyway, so he's like, Ata has vanished. I defeated him. They're attending to Hachimaru's father. Uh, Hagamichi has him hooked up to his holder, uh, which is acting as like, you know, a medical device. But he's like, there is this device that's implanted in his chest. Part of the device and his insides are completely missing. So I don't know how long this is going to work. Uh, Hachimaru, of course, tries to offer his own samurai soul to try and help save his dad. But uh, they're like, that, that's not the problem. It's nice that it's not like you can't just solve all the problems by just, you know, putting good Healy energy into someone in this series. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, no, there is an actual there are organs missing. So that's not going to work. Um, Dharma says that he thinks that he was planning to sacrifice himself in order to save Hachimaru. And uh, he, he basically was planning to protect you no matter what. Uh, it would explain why he was so insistent he didn't leave. Uh, but then they hear a voice, and it's Ata's voice. And he says, you Kanga Yasha disciples know nothing about Furuta, it would seem. He was formerly a brilliant scientist for us of the Ususama style and the man in charge of the Spare Key Project. And they're like, oh my god, you're still here. And they're like, it's Ata. He's like, well, no, it's not really Ata. It's, see, what I defeated was only a replica this is an image of his real body. It's like, okay, so we can still have that character even though Dharma beat him. Mm-hmm. And even if Dharma was able to handle him, the real auto might be more powerful. Fair enough. So he says, the spare key project is a project to intentionally create the keys that will open the boxes. And Dharma's like, <gasps> and it was like, well, great, more lore. Cool. So... <laughs> He says, I will return to see Sachikaku in person next time. This is farewell for now. But there are some people I'd like you to meet first. And Hachimaru and An are shocked when they see a whole bunch of Hachimarus, except they've got black hair instead of, you know, light colored hair. And one of them's like, you're Hachikaku, our brother. Dun, 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 dun. Hachimaru is a clone or something. Yeah, they they said that they were like they created these guys so that they would be the keys because 
and this is where I'm still trying to grasp the lore of this world, certain samurai are keys, kind of like, essentially the story took the elements of Dragon Ball and made them people, so it's like all the <laughs> Dragon Balls are people. Uh, Dragon Ball radars, those are people too, they're princesses. Like, everything is a person in this. And I, they made fake ones as well. These are the Namekian Dragon Balls, I think. Right. <laughs> so, I don't know. But it's just like, all right, cool. Uh, next chapter needs to end with a, like an end of prologue or something like that. Where right, you're like, right. oh, okay, we're done with the lore. Let's start the story now. Let's let's actually get into this. <laughs> we're done just introducing concepts. Also, I have to say, I understand, you know, that it's Samurai 8. 8 is Hachi. Hachi Maru. Hachikaku. He is the eighth key. So presumably these guys are like Ichikaku and Nikaku and that kind of thing. I also understand why that, you know, hey, if you're going to take this kid away from this and want him to, you know, survive and live his own life and stuff like that, that you would take him as in to raise him as your son. And also you would want to rename him. I get that, Furuta. So why did you keep the Hachi part of his name if you're going to do that, though? It's like, you were you were known as number eight among your brothers, but I will call you Eightson instead. <laughs> like, it, he, he would have done a better job not leaving his hairstyle identical to the way it was <laughs> as well. It's like Anyway, I'm going to keep all of the ideas that I get from Stranger Things. <laughs> <laughs> They call her L because she's known as Eleven. Does she have a real name? Yeah, but they just call her Eleven after. <laughs> so time to get back into that. Uh yeah, it's a chapter. What are you gonna do? I don't know. It's rough. And after I had such good things to say about the last one, it's like, what was happening? <laughs> I, it's not even that I don't like this chapter. It's just I really I can't stress that I'm like, look, either this is unprecedented. And despite having Kishimoto's name, you're being canceled already. And you, this is why you continue to drop enormous plot developments on us so quickly one after the other. Or fucking drop a prologue so we could be done with it and we just start a story or something like that. Because if you, you can't end every fucking chapter with one of these things. I've been reading, you know, of course, for a recommendation, Yagate Kimini Naru. Um... And I have to say, it is, it's like never runs into this issue of just like explaining things. You just see the characters experiencing life and interacting with each other and something different happens in every chapter and it is never boring. So it's, it does get frustrating when it feels like there's all this stuff. It's like, no, we have to hammer this stuff out because I mean, it's like, you know, when like I'm playing a big complex uh, role playing game. There reaches a point when you're like setting up the backstory and stuff where it's just like, I just want to play the game yeah. and play my character. And I don't want to spend all this time. Can we like leave some of this stuff for later is all I'm saying. Yeah, you, you nailed it right there. Speaking of dropping very important plot events, but this one has a reason for it. <laughs> Last Sayuki, chapter 22, before daybreak, a.k.a. before we get canceled in three weeks. So it's uh, last time we got the big explanation of uh, Ryunosuke's mother, Momo, and how all the stuff that she went through in order to birth Kohaku 
and make her super powerful. But there was a problem, which was she actually had memories from what Momo experienced, which was why when as soon as Koharu woke up, she said, I'm scared. So all of that fear that was accumulated gave her power, but also she had fear inside of her. Was it wasn't just given to Koharu as nourishment, it was passed on as a memory. So Ryunosuke, when he saw this, took a chance. Uh, he had an he had an opportunity and he was like, I know how to subdue Kay's fears. And he pleaded with Master Dotsu uh, to let uh, his son meet Kay. And Dotsu's like, ah, you want your son to become Sai so that you will be protected. And, and of course, you know, uh, Gohaku was like, yeah, yeah, that's me. Super selfish and self-centered. Yeah. Uh, but he used this as a bargaining chip to like, I will subdue, you know, her fears if you let this happen. And uh, he thinks to himself, you know, I didn't want that's not obviously what I wanted from Marinosuke. I didn't want him to become the world's hero. I just wanted to give him an opportunity. If he is chosen by Kay and gets unrivaled power, then Ryunosuke will have a chance to escape this hell. He doesn't need to defeat the last monster. He doesn't even need to fight. I don't care if the world is destroyed as long as Ryunosuke survives. I know this is just my own selfishness. It might not be what he wants in life. It might not exactly be, be what Momo wanted either, but I know a normal person in this eternal hell would have forgotten why they were still there. The one desire I'm sure Momo never forgot, the shining light of our despair. And so he pleaded with Kaharu to give Ryunosuke a future. And that was what was, was set up. That is why Kaharu met Ryunosuke and all that stuff. And they actually used a white Baku to erase Kaharu's memories and make it so that she wouldn't be so filled with fear again. Uh, and some time passed after that, uh, which was why the, the reason why she didn't show up immediately after Ryunosuke's mother died. It was because she had to recover from all the treatment that she went under doing that. Um, and so Karu did spend a bit of time on her own uh, before all this. So Ryunosuke now has this chance to become Sai, the great warrior. Uh, and the Master Dotsu made the condition that in three years time, whoever had the more suitable power would become Sai. It could have been Ryunosuke or it could have been Sai. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit of a difficulty here when you have characters names be the same as the positions and legends that they fulfill. But anyway, so Gohaku is like, I decided to leave Ryunosuke and Koharu alone and watch from the sidelines for Koharu and Ryunosuke to connect to each other faster and deeper. They needed to transcend their public personas and own interests. I thought the only way to do that was to make them like family. I knew the more hardships and fears that threw their way, the stronger their bonds would be after they overcame them. Once Ryunosuke learned of Koharu's kindness, I knew he would completely accept her. In the end, I was no different from Master Dotsu. I made them suffer for the purpose at hand, took advantage of their kindness, a monster who used them for his own means. Yes, it was I, manipulating things like a puppet master from behind the scenes for hundreds of chapters. Oh, everything is coming together. Can you see? I was like, all so, right, calm down, Eisen. <laughs> there was uh, clearly some, this was not supposed to be revealed nearly so soon. It feels well, like he just left them alone from uh this point in the story to this getting revealed like they went on like one mission with Fukuda 
and that was it. So, so it, it's it's worth noting. We mentioned this is ending, but I think in actuality, it's ending next week. Like I think this is the penultimate chapter. It could very I, well be. I, that's what I thought I had heard. So I think we might be like, this is them being like, oh, we have to get everything out because we don't even have time. They're like the next chapter has to deal with that fucking apocalyptic scene at some point. <laughs> so. It's got to be like uh, Takama uh, Takama Gahara and oh, just yeah. says like, and then there was a huge battle. <laughs> What's all right? Let, you know what? Let's 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 talk about this. It's this. Look, I'm not trying to insult this series. It's not going to be a ton to talk about really right now. What's the best way to end a jump series that gets canceled? Is it if it's like here, like we have five chapters left. Let's get everything in there. Or you just continue on the same pace and you make the final conflict like a chapter. Or in the Takamagahara case, you just don't address it until the very end. And you're like, and many adventures happened. <laughs> and then you just like, <laughs> like lose. I think that if I see some better examples of some of the others, then I might switch, change my answer. But I think that I prefer the cases that we've been seeing recently with like Neolation, uh, with uh, Higuma, where they don't actually get to the final conflict and it's kind of left open ended after you provide a sense of closure of something important mm. and then just be like, and now we're going to go on more adventure. Like the way the Neolation ended, it ended with this very great sense of optimism mm -hmm. uh, after we saw, you know, what Neo was all about. And we saw, you know, like, Hey, you know, these guys, you know, can work together and look at the kind of stuff that they can accomplish. And they had many more adventures along the way. It still, it, it left you with this good feeling at least. Yeah. Uh, but then there are the cases like, um, What's that one series we did? There was, oh God, I can't remember it. It was years ago. I think we covered it very briefly because it was like a 20 chapter and then canceled thing about uh, a guy who would like solve cases by telling scary stories. Oh, um, something. It was, it was a recommendation we did, though, I thought. I thought we actually did it for like a Halloween month. It was for Halloween month, yeah, and it was something it, it that was I something it was like, something I read something high school horror teacher or yeah. something. So that series had to pretend that the minor cases he had worked on up to that point were like all seven great legends of scary <laughs> stories. So, no, they fucking weren't. <laughs> so when you try and just like, and this is how the story ends, like clearly this was not the plan. Don't you even pretend that it was. Uh, and then there are the cases like uh, with Stealth Symphony where they have to be like, it's over. It's <laughs> over now. And here's the big twist that I was planning to do. Oh, God. Stealth <laughs> Symphony is like the best though, where it was just like, all right, bitches, fuck off. I don't care if this makes no sense to you. Here it is. He's a devil dragon. His head, he's been beheaded. <laughs> the, the main character's dead now. Uh, hey, guys, I know we got two weeks left, but I'm going to drop my dick on your faces. Enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> so um, there are good and bad examples of all of those cases i think but in general the acknowledging that the story's not over but giving a little sense of closure and then be like and then they had many more adventures i think is the best way to go about it as opposed to it's over now <laughs> yeah those ones we'll see how this one goes yeah you had to bridge everything in one week to be like yep it all happened everything i intended this is exactly what i wanted to do 
so that's the main thing that I have to take away from this chapter is like, wow, so <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that they had to ex- explain here that feels really unnatural being explained this early when it was clearly meant to be revealed at least two years down the road. But anyway, uh, there's a little bit more conversation between Fukuda and Gohaku where Gohaku's like, do you feel the same way about Ryunosuke and Koharu? You're different from me and Master Jotsu. That's why I told you. That's why I called you here that day. That's why I entrusted Ryunosuke to you for one mission. But all that said, there is a really cool moment at the end where uh, this has all been explained to Ryunosuke at the same time as Gohaku was explaining it. And he goes to see uh, Koharu with K and uh, with uh, Estelle. And he says, hey. Don't apologize for not telling me. Look, I'm a coward. I, you know, I didn't. I knew that there was something wrong deep down, but I didn't want to confront it. I was scared, but I was relieved to find out that this was all just everyone trying hard for the sake of others. And he reaches out and he takes her hand and says, "I know that you're not human. These hands that are colder to touch than anyone else's are actually kinder and warmer than everyone else's too. So don't come here all alone. We were worried about you. No matter where you go, no matter how much time passes, I will always be with you." Because you are my little sister. It's very sweet and heartwarming. And there's a lot of great artwork in just the two of them standing next to each other, holding hands, looking at each other. You know, Ryunosuke being looking legitimately brave and cool as opposed to like putting on a front. And Koharu just having a full page dedicated to her opening her eyes and crying tears of, of joy that her brother loves her so much. And then it ends on a really awkward note because Estelle's like, guys, promise me this. <laughs> End of chapter. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I will say like that's sort of been the best part of this series is the relationship between Ryunosuke and his little sister. So like when they hit on that, you're like, yeah, I guess I am kind of sad to see the series go. Uh, so, you know, that's like the part that you're like, ah, oh, cool. Like this is like if you're going to end this is the best place. Like use the part that people enjoyed the most is kind of like the part right. you hang yourself on, like all this lore and everything. You're like, you're like, yeah, it's there. It's interesting, but whatever. But when you actually put that front and center, you're like, yeah, this is a pretty good story. Mm-hmm. Daijiro Nanoe, uh, like, let's see, he's had a couple of different series trying to run and jump. I hope that they get something that works and catches on. The first series that I read from them was Muto Black, which I fucking hated. Um, so clearly, I I like this a lot more, and I hope that uh, the next series that they run catches on and they get something because it's it's clear they've got a lot of potential. So. This this uh, this I still think should have been the series to catch on. It's kind of a shame it should have been. I think it in my mind it's because of the tone. I know not everybody agrees with that, but like the tone shifts. But I, I do think this would have been the series I think that had the most potential, really. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to talking about We Never Learned, Nick. Question yes. 122. Thus, they quickly celebrate a pizza bet. There you go. Quietly, not, quietly not quickly, but oh, yeah. Sorry, quietly celebrate a pizza bet. I don't know. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, quietly celebrate. Eat your pizza with dignity. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Uh, so we open the chapter with uh, Kirisu Sensei. And she's gone over to the Super Kawaii Mart. Uh, does Kawaii mean different than Kawaii? Super Kawaii. Hmm, hang on. I'll look it up. Go ahead. Because I'm like, I assume it's not supposed to be a pawn. But that's almost exactly what, like, Kawaii is just an extra I, isn't it? Right. 
Anyways, she goes there. It's a grocery store. She's passing by and she notices. She's like, oh, hey, birthday cake. And she picks one up for herself. And uh, she heads home and she takes off her shirt because we need one of those shots. Uh, and then she sets everything up on a table. She puts little streamers out. She puts a birthday hat on. She pops a, a birthday like uh, noisemaker. And she says, congratulations and happy birthday to me. It's very sad. <laughs> and then goes, or whatever. And uh, before we get to like the big twist, I, I actually, I'm going to say, uh, the, the Miharu, I think, and Yuega pop out of the closet. They're like, oh my God, this is too sad. Uh, going back to her celebrate a birthday party for herself. Nick, what's the saddest birthday party you've ever had? That I've ever had? Yeah. For me? Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. I don't care much about my birthday anymore. So that's kind of like faded in terms of importance anymore. So, so I had a birthday party very similar to this where I went to the grocery store and because I normally I don't normally don't care about it. But I went to the grocery store and uh, you know, those cookie pizzas where it's just like a big cookie, essentially, and they put frosting on. It's like the size of a pizza, but it's kind of like a cake kind of thing. Uh, I was like, I kind of want one of those. So I bought one for myself. And then my family discovered it, and they're like, this is the saddest thing in the world. You bought yourself a birthday cake and ate it alone? I was like, yeah, it was my birthday. What do you want? <laughs> it would have been better if you had not tried to be happy at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just like, yeah, it was a pretty nice thing until you guys had to come in and pitch yeah. all over it. Like, you know, I was pretty happy. Great. Yeah. It's, I mean, like, look, not everyone is able to have people with them on their birthday because, you know, people lead you know, busy lives these days. So you should do whatever makes you feel good on your birthday, even if that is ignoring it and not doing anything special. So, yeah, don't let people fucking judge how you spend your birthday. It's your birthday and you can do nothing if you want to. So anyway. Uh, So, yeah, Uega and Mihara were in our closet and we find out that Uega was just walking down the street studying when Mihara was like, ah, it's you. Let's go over to my sister's place because it's her birthday. And we're going to throw her a surprise birthday party. Also gives an idea of when, how fast these events are taking place. Because they had like Christmas recently, didn't they? Mm -hmm. So have all of these chapters just been taking place in the span of like a single day each? Yuiga has a busy life, Chris. It's it's very tumultuous, which explains why he has so much trouble studying, really. Yes. They're like, every day is a fucking ordeal. Uh, she explains, and she's like, yeah, I I got in because my sister gave me a key. Uh, we found out she gave her a key because she was drunk on, like, chocolate bonbons. <laughs> right. Uh, so she didn't really mean to intend to give her a key. But uh, Kirisu comes home, and they're like, uh-oh. Let's quick hide in the closet. Uh, and then that's when they came out and found her like that. And I do love that the like it like fades back and it's like here's like, hmm, I get the picture now. I'll be taking this key back now. <laughs> that's, the first, that's the first thing is her being like, nope, Good give me that her. key back. Uh, but they're like, hey, let's celebrate a birthday party for you, you know? Uh, and Kira Mihara gives her a gift. She's like, Oh, cool. What is this? And it's a little doll of Bihar, which is like, now you can have a little substitute sister me to lavish with love in my absence. And I have a little one of you that I cuddle with every night when I go to sleep. And I love Kirisu's eyes have just become voids. And she's like, thank you. 
<laughs> just like acknowledge, just acknowledging that her sister is a weirdo. <laughs> She's like, oh, everyone in this town are weirdos. It must be a I, curse. I will say I actually love the Kirisu doll because its arms are crossed and it looks disappointed in you. <laughs> it really, it really does capture her identity. Uh, Yuega's like, hey, sorry, I didn't have the chance to get you a present. She's like, you don't have to worry about that. There's no reason. That's why okay. You just, just get your dick out, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so he gives her one of those, like, the things that kids do where it's like, uh, my birthday gift to you is a thing that says, I'll do whatever you want me to. They never do, by the way. No one I ever got a pass from one of those actually agreed to do the thing I wrote on it. So those are fucking worthless, by the way. Uh, but he's like, here, it's a wild card pass. So Miharu immediately thinks it's a sexy, like, hall pass kind she of thing. She thinks it, too. Well, I'm not sure if... She... In my mind, I like the thing she does it. Because it's such a Maharu thing the to image, do. The image appears behind both of them. They are both thinking the exact same thing. It's... And then Kirisu gets really flustered and says, it's inappropriate. What are you thinking? I'm your teacher. Clearly, she is thinking it too. Because Kirisu has hormones. Because, you know, it's a harem series, Chris. I know. Look, Chris, Look, I accept I'm just that, saying. I accept that it happens. Clearly, Seikijo doesn't love Ogata. <laughs> but... <laughs> I'm just saying. Look, Kirisu is capable of being a perfect. <laughs> I'm just saying. I think that's the case that's happening. I just don't want it to. Like, I'd like to hope that after like a year of sexy misunderstandings that have all been reasonably explained away, that her mind wouldn't immediately go to the first dirty place it could, knowing full well that Uega is the most baby innocent person on the planet. And he was probably exactly thinking like, oh, but it's a hall pass that says that uh, I'll uh, peel the skin off of grapes for you anytime you're too tired to, which is exactly what he does mean. Well, once he clarifies that, she's like, done. <laughs> so... yeah. yeah, like she, he explains, he's like, but you could use it whenever you need help cleaning the bathroom or anything like that. He's, she's like, absolutely accepted. Uh, so Maharu's like, oh, my God, this is this is scandalous. I, you know, I'll bet that he gives her Mexican car washes every night. <laughs> oh, that's a callback right there. Uh, she's like, may, may I have one of those? Uh, tickets too because I, I don't want you know I have to keep this relationship platonic until graduation so Uega's like I mean I guess which is weird because now you're just volunteering yeah he should have just been like I mean it was it your birthday recently <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's a whole moment when she's like you uh, like here so like puts the food down she's like mm, that's enough when you're both finished eating, eating I think you should be going like you have an important meaning Uega you have work to do this isn't the time to be worrying about my birthday. And uh, Maharu runs up and like chugs, like force chugs the rest of her glass. She should have choked on this, basically. Yeah. Like she just tilts it up and forces it upon her and like she downs the whole drink and just fucking obliterates Kirisu because it was alcohol and she cannot take any alcohol, let alone a whole bunch when it's chugged into her like that. So Kirisu like passes out, but then gets up, grabs the two of them by their heads, and pushes them both into her bosom. No, 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 Chris, well, no, no, no. She pushes that would away. make sense for her hands to do the same thing, but no, she makes sure that Mihar was properly positioned so that Yuiga goes straight into Marshmallow Hell. She is like, no, no, you get all the boobs, buddy. Get in there, get in there, real good. So she pushes her head into all their boobs, every boob. And uh, she's like, thank you. 
You're dedicating your precious time to me. It's bittersweet and beautiful all the same. I haven't had such a fun birthday in a long time. <sighs> and immediately passes out. And, uh, like, she's, they, they put her in bed, and uh, they finish cleaning up a little bit. And uh, Mahara's like, hey, I just wanted to thank you, Uega, because, you know, my family has been a lot happier thanks to you. And my mm-hmm. sister seems to be really able to enjoy her work more than ever before. And of course, Uega's like, ah, I haven't done anything, though. And, you know, more importantly, you know, I thought you were opposed to your sister's career. And she's like, right, that's true. But now I take it back because if my sister is absolutely content with their path, then I suppose it must be her true calling. So seeing her sister happy has given her the confidence to fully support her. Yay. And uh, Uega's like, oh, okay. And uh, he's about to leave. He's like, you know, maybe she's just not, maybe she's not just bushy from the alcohol. Kind of seems like maybe she's just being really honest about how she feels. And uh, even even kind of passed out. She reaches out and grabs Uega by the arm and hands it back. Like, you, you, no, no, you don't get away. You, get back Get back in the cleavage. Get yeah, in there. Get, uh, die in my breasts. <laughs> That's her submission move. <laughs> I'm, I'm stunned. That there wasn't a diva during the Attitude Era whose finisher was a breast suffocation attack of some kind. It really, the, it really goes to show how cultured Vince McMahon is. Absolutely. And then you hard cut to him using the N word on television once, just for a weird angle with John Cena. It wasn't even for an angle. He just did it to be a goof. Like, <laughs> uh, she hands him back the the wild card pass. And, you know, he had put a blank box in it that says, I'll do anything you said. So she wrote in it, make sure you pass all of your exams. Or make sure you all pass your exams. Rather. Yes, him and all the girls. And it's very sweet. Even Uyga gets to be us for a second while your eyes kind of water. Like, it's like <laughs> beautiful, man. <laughs> and uh, he's like, yeah, you know, in the end, she gave you the present instead. She's like, yeah, even though it's her birthday. Uh, so Mahara is like, well, if that's the case, then we should get started on, start on one of our standard all-nighter study sessions. Blah. That's the end of the chapter. Uh, chapter has its ups and downs. It's, you know, a goofy one-off, but it's very sweet in the end. I really liked it. It's so. annoying that this is a series that could be this stupid and trashy at times. And yet, still have the most emotionally earnest moments of maybe any chapter this week. Where they're like, "Fuck, man, how do you earn yeah. all of this? I don't get it." It goes through. It goes through, and it's just like, "Okay, whatever." She's drunk. It's like, "Oh, she really cares." <laughs> the moment when it's like, "Thanks to you, my family is better." Like, "Oh, oh, my small heart has been shattered asunder." <laughs> all right. Let's move on from there to Dr. Stone. Z equals equals 116 Miracle in hand. They've gotten platinum, and now they can use it to make more Miracle fluid because they can create more nitric stuff. So, um... This they, with this they can make nitric acid. It's no longer a miracle fluid that you know they've got to get from a cave. That you know it takes thousands of years for it to drip down to the ceiling. They can just fucking produce it themselves this way. Uh, and so with this, you know, they can actually revive humanity. Oh, but back in the village, a weird beardy dude has been looking at the shard of bottle that's been broken to him. He's like, "What is this? It's is it is it ice? It's it's like that. It's like that." 
see-through ice room we discovered on the ship. Wait a minute. We have invaders. So he doesn't know what it is, but he recognizes what it is, and that's cool. Uh, So people are, you know, the science kingdom is like, all right, we can can make, you know, stuff with the nitric acid. Hooray. Uh, So again, it's like, maybe we can make firearms. It's like, like, that would take a lot of nitric acid. But we could start a factory. uh, But this is only going to give us a small amount of it uh, right now. Uh, I, we need to like be able to mass produce this. In order to do that, we need to revive Kaseki. So he's definitely gotta get. One. He's gotta be okay. So you gotta get Kaseki. Oh, well, Kaseki's been broken. And no! he's peanuts. <laughs> uh, so they're just dropping shards of people into the ocean now. Uh, they're throwing them overboard. Uh, so Suika and of course is distraught over this, and Seki's like. Yeah, I guess it makes sense because they're just, you know, useless statues uh, to them. Uh, but Gen's like, OK, well, then we would be able to go dive down and get them now. They're not being guarded anymore. Isn't this good? And uh, so Yus points out, I mean, we'd have to gather up all the pieces before the currents wash them away, though. Uh, so Suika concludes, well, in that case, we're going to need Ryusui. Because he could read the sea currents and he could tell where all the, all the pieces went. And sure, wouldn't you know it, she actually spots Ryusui uh, being taken away from the ship and taken ashore. And they've taken his clothes because they're douchebags and his clothes were nice. Uh, so they tie him to a tree despite the fact that he's, you know, stone and his arms broken off and stuff. And uh, they make an announcement saying that there are intruders amongst them and intruders must be dealt with. So, he says, if this stone statue is not your comrade, you will have no qualms smashing him. And he gives an axe out and tells the people to one by one break pieces of Ryusui off. And, of course, Kohaku is like, and she wants to go after them. But Amaryllis and Ginro hold her back to make sure she doesn't ruin a plan. Um, And Ginro actually points out, hey, it's okay, You know, just because he's in pieces, that doesn't mean he's dead. We can we can put him together and revive him. So calm down. But at that moment, she gets contacted by Senku, who's going through her ear earring. And Gen overhears this and he's like, what? What are you doing? So it's Kohaku's turn of the line. And they're like, what is it? Do you not want to smash him? Are you the invader? Just does a flying knee into his head. Just immediately like flying missile drop kicks the head off. Then she just gets this goofy look on her face. She's just like, (laughs) breaks him into pieces. And all of the people in the village are like, what? Except for the one really doofy guard. She's just like, oh, cool. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, Ginro and Amaryllis are completely shocked. They're like, oh my God. And Kok is like, smash him up. What you want now, bitch? (laughs) Got anyone else I could break? (laughs) So... So, of course, Amaryllis and Ginra are shocked, but she whispers to them, explaining, listen, without Yuzuriha, we'd have trouble putting tiny fragments back together, which is why I was sure to deliver only clean breaks. And we cut to a bunch of the mouse motor things, as well as Suika, who also moves fast when she wants to, I guess. And uh, she's gathering them up and she's like, huh, there's, there's all this really heavy stuff in here and stone fragments of Ryusui like his hand and his eye and, and of course Suika's like ah! and Suika's like cool thanks 
So again, it's like, so you're having our freaking RC cars carry fragments of our friend over and say, like, well, what else are we supposed to do? And with this, he's like, yeah, we're just going to take advantage of the fact that they petrified our friends to perform Operation Chop Chop Escape. And they make several trips with the little mice motor things in order to ship pieces of Ryusui over gradually. And Kohaku is just thinking to herself, yeah, Ryusui's going to be like, well done breaking me into bits the way you did. Thanks to you all, I get the honor of being the first person to get revived twice. And, and, <laughs> and sure enough, they dress him up, put the fragments together, pour the revival fluid on him, and he's like, thanks to you all, I'm the first human to get revived twice. Is notably a cool effect of like the stone like energizing off of his body because the stone is not eroded on him, so it has a different effect than all the other times people have cracked apart. Uh, and uh, he immediately gathers up what's happened because he remembers being petrified, and so he says, "So you wanted to revive Kaseki next, I bet." And that's it. That's the end of the chapter. So this was a weird trip, but. Uh, here we are now. Ryusui is okay now, Chris. Second most popular character. Yeah, had to be revived first. True. Uh, so I am a bit confused, and I can't tell if it's just an error or if it's something they don't explain. But how Ryusui got his other arm back? Because the statue was broken before broken they even off. started breaking right. it. And it's kind of tough to tell because you don't see his hand that usually had the black marks on it. Right. But from the way they show him, we see both hands. So mm -hmm. either it was unintentional that they remove that, or the new stone process gets rid of that. Right, but the, because and, he's been revived now. Mm -hmm. And if they if that's the case, they just didn't explain where the other arm went, which isn't like a huge plot hole, but it was something that, as I was reading this, I was like, it was initially missing the arm, then had another one knocked off. And I understand why that one got, because they just grabbed all the parts there. But where did the like did they find the other one? Or it's a little confusing. Now, admittedly, a hand missing is much different than like, you know, little chips here and there missing. It'd be a lot easier to find. But yeah, they don't explain like, oh yeah, and Kohaka went and got it. They don't explain where the hand came from. They don't explain if they Hell, for that matter, we don't really Oh, it's well, Amaryllis did gather up the stone fragments herself, and I guess they just let her. But you would think that the hand would be somewhere else than that oh, because yeah, it had yeah. broken up. It, it is strange. Someone's saying that you do see the jackal guy carrying it, which I didn't notice before. But it's like, if they're already dumping all the other pieces in the ocean, it is weird that they would bring that piece. I don't know. It's just it's an oddity. To have been like, mm, to have not just, got it. Okay. To not have just been like, he's in one piece. Then do a, I don't know. It just, it, it, it was a very confusing little thing that if you didn't pay attention to that, you're like, wait a minute. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Ryusuke is missing his whole hand now. Like, that's pretty crazy. It's like, no, nah, it's, it's fine now. He's, he's like, tries to do his whole, you know, snapping, uh, giving his, like, hey. I was like, ooh, this is pretty interesting. <laughs> I like this now. <laughs> Drama. Put a hook hand on my arm now. <laughs> uh, is a bit odd. I know that some people were actually like kind of upset about this because it kind of makes it easy. Uh, and now they've got the revival fluid. They're probably seemingly solved. Not quite. I would say they still can't mass produce it yet. They have to revive Kaseki and stuff like that. And also 
Doctor Stone's always the kind of series where it's like on to the next thing and on to the next thing. Oh, so the, the pace of Doctor Stone is always yeah. something happens like each chapter. Like ever since the prologue ended, that's its pace. So. Mm-hmm. Um, someone actually, I forget who it was in the Discord chat, pointed out it's like it's kind of the same issue that was raised in the last chapter of Black Clover where nothing has consequences. Well, that's kind of different because death was presented as a jostling of the status quo. Um, and then it was like, well, no, it's not, apparently. Whereas I Dr. Never, Stone doesn't have a status quo. It just constantly is moving. I was also never going to be under the impression that Dr. Stone killed off like 90% of its principal right. cast. Like I was always under the assumption they were going to get them back. So, And it didn't happen all at once. It's not like in like the next chapter, they got the revival fluid and immediately revived right. them. They've got back Ruseway so they can get back Koseki to hopefully get back user Riha and then they can hopefully right. get back everybody. Like it's going to be a process. And it's, still... and it's always been Senku's thing that he wants to save everyone. That's part of his ethos as a character. And sticking to that is definitely more preferable than with promise. Everyone Everyone's life is meeting. Who are those people who got killed off screen? Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, like, and we, we still have to deal with the fact that the, the, I don't want to call them the women, uh, but I can't think of a better team name for them. The the group that's infiltrating the spy right now, team. The spy, the spy team, team. That's Chris. it. Uh, the spy team has to find the weapon first, too. Like, that's actually the big right. thing. Otherwise, it could just happen again. Yeah, there's still a lot more obstacles in the way of even completing this part of the story. So. Seven Deadly Sins. Seven Deadly Sins. Chapter 322. The Voice Calling Your Name. Escanor's back. And yes, he and he is a fucking poet now, Chris. Yeah, he starts with like a long poem uh, that I won't get. I, I won't read out loud, but it's a very cool poem. So you should read it if you get the chance. Uh, maybe it'll show up in our favorite speeches at the end of the year in the supplemental mm, awards. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, so Lodius like, holy shit, Escanor, you're here. And I do like the, dem- the, the demon lord who's like, who the hell is this guy? Where did he come from? <laughs> who is Escanor? <laughs> <laughs> And uh, we see Male had dropped him off, and he's like, all right, that's that's all I could do. The fate of the world is in your hands, Seven Deadly Sins. I'll come pick you up later if you're not dead, you know. So uh, Melodius is really upset. He's like, you know what's going to happen if you use Sunshine with that body again. And Escanor turns to, like, say something. He's like, Captain. And he just gets fucking, like, elbow slapped in the face by the Demon Lord. And I don't know why. That's low-key my favorite moment of the week where he turns to be like, es- Melodius, I as the le- le- member of the Seven Day- <laughs> Like, doesn't even get the time to start it. Bell rang, bitch. <laughs> yeah, he's like, we're in a fight, my dude. Uh, so they start up their fight. And Escanor is like, compared to what the seven of us are about to do, this is nothing. Divine Spear! And there's a whole sequence of kind of attacks that follow. And we see that, like, oh yeah, High Noon Escanor is stupidly strong. And he's able to fight against the Demon Lord on this level right now. And he's like, yes. Like, we see him all cut up and bleeding. And he's like, there's no better fight than this to give glory to the end of my life. And uh, Diana's moment is like, oh, the end of your life? What are you talking about? And he's like, look. Before I accidentally killed the demon lord, go, Gauther, go in there. And uh, I love how furious that makes the demon lord. He's like, before you accidentally kill me, you what, bitch? <laughs> before, right. I acci- before I accidentally go killing the demon lord. <laughs> it's like, but he's like, hey, that's a good point, I guess. Uh, and then, you know, he goes to strike Escanor. Bond shows up, kicks him in the face. And, uh, 
we you know we then have uh king make his giant like summoning thing of swords and brings them down and they're like now's the time go so they promise to like captain go we're gonna hold him here we swear it so gouther sends them both inside and uh they're headed in and eventually they're like oh hey we we see it here there's some like small stuff in there it's not really super important to get into uh but eventually they come across zeldris's body and the evil like i don't really know what i'd call her i guess like illusion slash vision of gelda that's out there that's kind of haunting right. but just the demon lord it's not anyone. see i had her i had his head in my lap to you know seduce him and make him want to stay here but then i got tired of that so he's just in my my webbing cocoon yeah. and i'm looking gross and sinister now so yeah uh so that fight's happening and then outside we see like the big fight happening from afar and Escanor is just <laughs> and a new person shows up and all seals his blood splattered on the rock and like reaches down and licks it and who should it be Nick but the real Gelda saying ah Zell so that's where you've been and uh, that's you know we, we have a lot we basically have every piece now here and uh, it's uh <laughs> it's Chris it's not blood it's uh it's that that red liquid uh but the vampire is tasting. Oh yeah, it's, it's, no, 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 she's not a vampire. She leads a gothic lifestyle. That's it. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's uh yeah. I don't know what I was going for there, but yeah. It's brood. <laughs> um, I love this chapter, guys. So this is some real tip for you. If you're writing a story, or you're doing like a Dungeons and Dragons campaign or something like that, it's just just, just go to advice for everybody. Uh, include uh, big titty chicks who drink blood. No, um, if you if you're looking for like the way to make a big fight feel epic, one of the best ways to do it is to instead of have two people against each other in like a who can win kind of way, put one make it one side's goal to protect something for a certain amount of time. Like I always think back to when we were doing the campaign death clock campaign, yeah. and we had a we had a mission we had to protect. Angry Joe's character until he could cast a spell. And it's one of the most awesome fights I've ever been a part of because there's so much drama and suspense to trying to protect something as like a fight just continuously whittles you down further and further. And that's what I'm excited about here is like, okay, so we have all these super strong characters here, but how long can they keep the demon Lord from getting to melodious? Like that's, that's the exciting part right now. Yeah. That's cool. It's yeah. uh, and also like Escanor just looks like a badass in this chapter with the and which thank goodness he does, because otherwise the whole late arrival thing would have been a real letdown. But no, lived up to the hype. Oh, yeah. So. Like him walking in and just being like, hey, hurry up and get in there. I don't want to accidentally just kill this dude and waste the <laughs> waste. Bitch, your whole you what? <laughs> Bitch, please. All right. The promised Neverland chapter 145 respective reasons. So Norman is setting off to the Trafari. Everyone is trying to go and stop him from killing everyone. We catch up more with Ray and Emma in this chapter as they're setting off from Norman's headquarters to try and catch up with them. And they run into the problem of time. It's going to take them a while to get to the demon capital and the, they have a head start getting there. Uh, Norman's group does. So in order to get to the Trafari, they're like, OK, I mean, if we go through shortcuts and everything, we could we could make it in three days. But at that point, uh, 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 Anna, 
Is that it? Did I remember her name? It, I'm trying to see who you're even referring Sacrificed to. Sacrificed her hair girl that became important because she was a popular character for one mission and then she was forgotten about again as soon as that mission was over. I I think the only other character I know of is Anna, but I everything you just described to me sounds like some like fan fiction where I'm like, I don't remember that happening. Did that happen? Anna. It's Anna. Okay. So she's she points out, guys, you don't have that much time. You've got two and a half days until the Tafar. So if you go there in if you guys get there in three days, then you're going to get there not only too late, but in the middle of a dangerous battle. So what are they going to do? So fortunately, some kid comes running up and it's is like, Oliver. thank her. It's Oliver, Nick. No, no, no. Not, that's not a, the guy oh. who comes running up. Some kid with black hair comes running oh, up. Oh, that's, uh, no, that's not Chris. Fuck. I do know that girl. She's shown up before. So they're like, come quick. And they leads them over. And oh my God, it's, Oliver and Zach and Nigel and Jillian. Bravo that you got all of them. I was at the look of Zach. Nick, Nick, I'm not going to lie. I was really proud of myself that I got Oliver. I was like, holy shit. I, that is it. That is Oliver. That's not Lucas. They were two different characters and that's Oliver. And I was really excited. And I was like, shit, it's the girl with the hat. What's her name? And I was just going to sit here. If no one said anything, I was going to sit most here for important out of all of them. She's gotten the most development, Chris. If, if no one said anything, I was going to sit here for an and hour Nigel's and a half. And Nigel's one flying ace. How dare you forget him and his hat? <laughs> so they've got horses, Chris. They're going to they're going to they've they've apparently been learning to ride horses while them and Ray have been away. Oh. You know, like you do. <laughs> so uh, on page six in the big panel. What's up with Zach's horse? It's just like, <gasps> like it's like one eye didn't get the eyelid. <laughs> None like, of the horses look like they want to be there. I should know. I, I was like, did we find the critical weakness of the Promised Neverland that the guy, the person who's drawing it, was like, I'd never have seen a horse in my life. <laughs> Emma brings up the point, like, hey, I thought that you guys, you know, didn't want to save the demons. You're like, especially you, Jillian, and. Of course, we get a little flashback of Jillian being like, I want to fucking, you know, protect my friends. And she explains like, yeah, I do kill demons and I, I, I'd kill anyone that would hurt my friends. But I also want to help my friend who wants to help her friend. And it's like, oh, that's, that's a little moment. Like she's not a very, she's not an incredibly important character. She didn't have to go on an arc or anything. But it's like, yeah, it's nice showing the bond between these kids. She has a character to speak of. Uh-huh. Anyway, Oliver is there and he's in charge for some reason. <laughs> He's for Oliver, vi- the Ryusui of the Promised Neverland. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I think in the Promised Neverland's eyes, they think that's the case, though. They're like, like after Ryusui came out and Agaki's like, yeah, I created this new popular character. Everyone's like, they were like, it's like a big jump meeting. They all do like a brunch, I guess. And like the guys behind Promised Neverland are like, yeah, we know what that's like. We just created this popular new character called Oliver that people can't stop talking about. <laughs> Oliver is like the... Like the guy who follows magma around of Promise Neverland, <laughs> the Stone Age Lafru. Yes. <laughs> uh, so 
There's that going on. Oliver being among these four horsemen is like when Jeff Jarrett joined the four horsemen. Like that's <laughs> every group of the four horsemen eventually has an Oliver. And <laughs> it, it, I'm like, I'm trying to figure out what the mathematical equation here is. Like the Oliver principle that like, as you added Oliver, the, the group's interest, like uh, inversely falls in accordance to it. Like, why did why did Promise Neverland kind of drop? Oh, well, it's the Oliver principle. You put, you put Oliver it's, in the group. It's like when it's like when the NWO grew to have more than six people. <laughs> Wait, well, you're talking about NWO or NWO Wolfpack or NWO Latin or new new uh, NWO NW, NWO Japan or Blue World Order or <laughs> NWO Black and White or. <laughs> oh man, wrestling so over forty members. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> they're going after they're going to try and find Norman. Meanwhile, what's going on with Norman? And actually, there's a, a thing that comes up here uh, that they point out, like, why is like Norman moving up things so quickly? Uh, because and they not actually Emma's group, but the people who were left behind at uh, uh, Norman's headquarters, led by Violet. Good to know she's still kicking around. Uh, being like, hey, yeah, it's kind of weird because everyone's like, it seems like everything's kind of going according to Norman's plan. So why is he rushing things? And Anna is like, maybe it's because of that incident where the demon saw us at the base before we came here. Maybe that would be it. But Pepe? Maybe? Eyepatch dude is like, would that be the only reason why he's in a hurry, though? We also have people bring up the thing that Vincent has been working on, the thing he's been working on, and he's like, it's complete. I brought it, so you can, so can you confirm it later? And they're like, yeah, everything's going great. Uh, we catch up more with Norman's group. Uh, he's talking with his generals, and they're essentially all like, hey, you know, thank you for bringing us all the way here. And Vincent says, thanks to you, we were able to live. And they're like, we don't have much time left. Our bodies have turned out this way. But thanks to you, we can change the world. Even if we meet our end here, you and the other farm children can go to a new world and beyond. That is our earnest wish and hope. So there's the thought that, ah, Norman is moving things up because his army is going to get sick. The same way we saw the Lambda uh, brutes uh, have their seizures. It seems like they're getting worse. Their medicine's not working as much anymore. But Norman gives a speech to all of them, says, hey, don't hey, we're going to win this without shedding any blood. I won't let anyone die in this battle. You guys don't have to thank me. If you want to thank me, do it after we've won. We're going to create a new world. All of us are going to go see with our own eyes. We're all free. And now we're going to end this millennium of suffering. The time passes and he goes off by himself, stares at the night sky, thinks back to his life with Ray and with Emma. Mostly Emma, because he's in love with her. Uh and he thinks he's you know, he thinks to himself and all of a sudden he falls to the ground. He's clutching his head and he's he starts nearly barfing and he looks down at his palm when he holds it up to his mouth and it's covered in his own blood that he's just spat up. And he just says, I'm sorry. And it's now the day of the Tafari. And, and we see an explosion go off to seemingly start the assault on uh, the Capitol. So it seems as though, Chris, uh, Norman didn't exactly escape that experimental lab without having a few side effects. So, yay. Norman's not going to make it through the series, probably. 
No, it uh, it doesn't seem like that's the case, but who knows? Maybe uh, maybe we're still in for some real surprises here towards the mm. end. I do appreciate that we're adding this stuff to Norman to make sure it's like, hey, no, he's he is the antagonist right now, but not trying to get away from that as a hey, he's still a sympathetic figure. So, yeah. In Norman's mind, he's doing the right thing. Right. And he's rushing things because he doesn't think that they have much time left. So Black Clover, let's talk Black Clover, Nick. Page 215, 213, 215. There you go. 215. Three problems. Oh, is that all Black Clover's got? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Just three problems. So we open with the Wizard King who's alive and he's like, I survived somehow. (laughs) Just says it. (laughs) Although I shrank. And uh, Yami and William Banjant are like, what? No, you were fucking super dead. I, I saw Yami's you. Because he's like, you are you were definitely dead. Like, <laughs> like, you were super fucking dead. And you entrusted me with something. Like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, oh, wow, you're I'm really scared. Completely getting the hubris of that moment. Of, uh, or the, not hubris, the uh, the moment. What The emotion of that moment. <laughs> And Yami's like, yeah, well, I just figured I'd never see you again. And uh, we see William Vantage is like really upset because he's like, I never thought I'd see you again. Uh, and we kind of address this like, yeah, there's a lot of drama to the scene because William Vantage betrayed the Wizard King and the Clover Kingdom entirely for the sake of his friend. Uh, you know, the soul that was entwined to his and real ramifications are going to come from that. And the Wizard King's like, William Vangence, no matter your reasons, the crime of betraying the kingdom is a serious one. Everyone's hurt, and I'll imagine it will take time for them to get back onto their feet. And your punishment is you have to help everybody fix their house. I'm like, you fucking cocksucker. <laughs> Community service. <laughs> I'm like, well, you certainly shouldn't keep him as the fucking captain of his group or whatever. It's... They, they're like, you just have to do some community service. So I was like, William Vengeance, for your punishment, you have to serve as the Wizard King until I'm recovered. <laughs> oh, yeah. Something stupid like that, I was expecting. Uh, no, it's just, he just says, like, yeah, you're going to have to do it. Uh, he places some blame on himself. He's like, you know, I, I was the one who asked women to join the Magic Knights, and I kind of knew that there was something going on, so I had to take some responsibility for his betrayal. And I'm also responsible for losing that fight. So are you prepared to endure the backlash of resentment and press forward with me? And it's like, wow. It's sort of the thing where I guess people are going to, like, the tides will turn. Because he never faced that resentment previously. The Golden Dawn were the team of teams. Everyone loved them. And their leader was treated with the utmost respect. So I suppose now... Maybe the Golden Dawn will have to face some real criticism. Like, I feel like there's ways you could turn this into a more interesting story. I feel like it's going to end here, though, and it's never going to be brought up again. That like My bet is, given the way the Black Clover does things for its secondary characters, is that we're going to uh, not see them for a little while. And then when the Golden Dawn appears, we'll just be told that they've worked really hard to salvage their reputations and they they're good now. Yeah, like. That seems to be the way the Black Clover does things with a lot of its like problems you would think would be problems. So uh, the Wizard King with uh, Yami meet up with, and I'm not sure how these four specifically, the four that are, 
I guess it makes sense for the final problem, but uh, he meets up with Asta, Secre, Noel, and Mimosa for some reason. And Look, like, Asta and his harem need to know about this problem, Chris. Okay. Well, I'm glad that those three are the only members of Asta's harem, and there's no other ones. Because no, they, Rebecca. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, if Rebecca was an important character, she'd be there, but she's not. So, kind of, kind of explains itself. Um, it's weird that that joke went from being a joke against me to now being a point <laughs> of pride, where I'm just like, I'm 100. I'm like, Rebecca isn't important. She'd be here. She was important. <laughs> Well, the fact that every time she shows back up, she's got to be labeled. I think that... <laughs> or someone has to point her out to us. They'd be like, did you guys not notice it when Rebecca was in that bottom corner, like where Panda Man usually is in like a group shot, like 70,000 characters. It's like a Panda Man. They're like, that Rebecca's the Panda Man of this series now. <laughs> uh, so the Wizard King's like, there's three problems. The Wizard King is gone. And they're like, but you're right here. And you're like, what? And he's like, yeah. Well, I lost almost all of my magic, so I don't know. Maybe it'll come back or maybe not. He explains that he found magic to storage technology left behind by ancient mages, and its name is Swallowtail. Uh, and I think this is something of significance that I don't remember it coming up before. Like, Sekre Sekre, seems... Sekre recognized it. I think that this was brought up during the flashback as like a because it was using her sealing magic i think it was something that she was working on with lumiere yeah possibly uh so she's like yeah so my time magic and the swallows here were very compatible so i stored up all those years inside of it and that's how i was able to kind of have those extra years chance i didn't know it'll work so well so hey i guess this is the oldest it would let me get and they're like It's sort of weird because they don't really address anything further to that problem. They're like, it becomes a thing of like, oh, hey, I haven't seen you before. What kind of magic do you have? I'm the Wizard King. I get very excited. I'm like a weird magic nerd. So I really like seeing people with new magic. And like that conversation kind of gets cut short. And right. they're like, all right, time to discuss problem two. And I'm like, so the, are you the real issue and the reason why this is actually a problem is something that he kind of just says like offhandedly and isn't really given much focus, which is the hardline monarchist nobles will have weakened and naturally I've lost combat strength as well, or rather my influence with them will have weakened because he's no longer seemingly the strongest uh, wizard. How are they going to acknowledge him as the wizard king now when because he points out, like, I've got, like, one page of my grimoire available to me right now when it was this huge nexus with no beginning or end before. So now that he's much weaker, is he going to be able to influence things, even if he is seemingly the exact same person but smaller? Like, his personality and memories don't appear to have been affected by this in the slightest. So so he's like, problems two and three are super connected. Uh, so... If nothing changes, the Clover Kingdom will be destroyed by the other nations. And I'm oh, like, sure. Yeah, absolutely, dude. Even if like the head, you guys had no fighting or force left to speak of, you could just be like, Diamond Kingdom, fight the other two. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> you've got one of the kingdoms mind controlled right now. So <laughs> I don't know what the big issue is. Yeah. So when I mentioned last week, I was like, I don't really know what the series goes from here. You mentioned like the other kingdoms. And yeah. I guess that's where we're going, but I don't know how any other kingdom is a threat. Like, unless the other kingdoms are like, oh, we don't do magic. We just invented machine guns. And you're like, oh, okay. So, like, 
Because you can't keep being like, ah, the wizard king of the spade kingdom has all grimoires. He could cast magic of any type. And I was like, four other people could do this in this fucking series. I don't know. Maybe this is going to be a little bit of a breather issue to build up to the next actual step in this, because it does seem as though there's no way to actually escalate this from literally the devil Mm. with magic from another dimension causing shit. I don't think anything is going to seem like it's intimidating in the slightest coming directly on the heels of that. Yeah. So they're like, all right, well, you know, the the other kingdoms are going to attack. And he's like, moreover, Asta will die. And, uh, or possibly both. And that's the chapter. So this is a really short chapter. I yeah. imagine maybe there were some time crunches that caused this chapter to get really, really this, this chapter was 12 pages long. Like, <laughs> so. so there's not actually like a ton to this, which it's kind of a good and bad thing because if you're going to shorten a chapter, at least one like this, that has a ton of content in it helps, but it is a weird one where you're like, Wow, this felt like a short chapter. And you look down at the page, you're like, oh, yeah, this because it's about half the size of a normal chapter. It was a short chapter. chapter. Yeah. I don't really have too much to say about it. It actually does seem to be taking things probably in a better direction than I was expecting from last week in terms of like, there's no consequences to anything. Like, well, even with the Wizard King coming back, this is saying like, there can still be consequences to the fact that he died. So if that is actually focused on this, like, okay, I can at least see that. So, yeah. One Piece, chapter 951, Rampage. Uh, So, in the last chapter, we learned that Law had been captured. Oh, boy. We see some more stuff going on with that. Uh, The freaking emperor is told about this. And uh, he's like, well, why didn't you capture all the others? And they're like, well, he can give us information on them. Oh, okay. Go ahead and torture him then. Cool. There are wanted posters for a bunch of the straw hats and allies being distributed around town. And they're all done in that like Edo style art with the, you know, gaunt faces and stuff. Um, we see Sanji talking with Shinobu a bit about stuff, about what's going on. Um, and he, they bring up like, cause Sanji says, I thought that when Tony Yasu gave that big speech, when he was killed, that all of the prisoners were going to be declared innocent. And Shinobu was like, yeah, I guess it didn't work out that well. <laughs> Apparently, they didn't take his word for it. <laughs> I thought so, too. <laughs> the exact thing that they say is that Orochi can't release the prisoners because then it will mean that he made a mistake. So this is really to save himself face. Uh, so there's that. Uh, there's also stuff going on. They point out skyboats being made in preparation for the fire festival. Uh, and Sanji's like, oh. Well, that kind of sucks that they're going to hold this festival right after some important people just died. And Shinobu says, well, actually, no, because the fire festival of the flower capital is a ceremony to mourn and remember the dead. It is the time when our wishes and feelings reach them more than ever. This is definitely not going to come up in the next few chapters, Chris. This fire festival is just going to be completely forgotten about. Yeah, not having I, I, This is 100 uh, percent. This is the scene that happens at the end of this arc after Luffy's beaten Kaido. They hold the fire festival to honor the fallen like Yasui and everything like that. And all the people who died trying to protect Wano while like the people we just found about at that last chapter who like, you know, went over to Onigashima when they were told not to, this is a hundred percent what's going to happen. And even knowing I'm willing to put a pizza bet that this is going to happen. Like I'm so, I'm so positive on it. Even knowing that, I'm still going to be choked up when that scene happens. It's going to destroy me. Like, I'm already knowing that's going to happen. 
and they're going to release all the fu- the the lanterns, and then through the lanterns you see a dark shape. And Sean, you was there with the Huns in order to invade using the festival as a cover. Oh, whoa! Wow! Wowee! That's crazy. Wow, this Mulan re- remake took a very different turn than the one I was expecting. <laughs> Just crossing over with One Piece. That's crazy. Uh, Disney has that s- power, though. They could do this. Probably. So we see uh, Beppo and uh, some of Law's other men have been uh, released from the prison, and they run into Nami. And uh, they just say, yeah, we got lucky and escaped. Uh, but during this conversation, Beppo brings out the symbol that they've been distributing in order to try and gather support. And he says, before that daimyo named Yasuye died, we showed the riddle image to the people in the cell with us, and they have actually altered it. They've added some lines into the snake part of the emblem. And so they're like, that suggests that the meaning of the code has changed. The one people understood it. It was in Yasuye's final message. So Nami's going to pass this on to Kinemon. She sets off. And Beppo kind of like stops himself from saying anything because we get a flashback as to how they got lucky and escaped, which was that Law negotiated for their freedom. He couldn't uh, just uh, fight Hawkins because they would die. So instead, he traded himself for them. He let himself be taken prisoner. And that's actually stayed true to his word, to his credit. He actually released uh, their lives. So they're no they're truly free uh, now. They're actually fully released. Bizarrely, law tells all of them to keep quiet about this and not tell Straw Hat and the others that he's been captured. And they're like, why not? Anyway, (laughs) What are you thinking, Law? Explain! <laughs> it's frustrating. And it's again what I was saying. It's like, oh, I'll tell you later. Like, oh, God. It, it's weird that people don't explain things until it's dramatically appropriate. And it kind of bugs me sometimes if it's not executed well. In Ibisu Town, Kondro has been given Yasuye's corpse. Yay! Uh, and he says that he will take them to Curry so that he can lay the body to rest. Um, the people of Abisu are laughing while crying, of course, over this and they're, you know, thanking Yasuye. Uh, Frankie is with Nami and Kondro there and they're getting aboard his tiger motorcycle? Question mark? <laughs> that, those are motorcycle handlebars. Like, anyway. Uh, the wanted posters come into play as Usopp and Robin and Brooke have to pass by a checkpoint. And (laughs) this is probably my favorite part of the chapter. Usopp and Robin just pull weird faces so that they don't match the wanted posters. And then (laughs) Brooke is just with them floating along next to them. And they're like, yeah, get those people out of here. They're haunted by a ghost. (laughs) I love, like, it's such a great thing for the visual of both of their faces, but I love the explanation where he's like, get them out of here, they're fucking haunted by a ghost. <laughs> like, it wasn't enough that, like, they were able to pass from the faces. He's like, he's got a ghost haunting them, too. Uh, they've also still got a toko with them. Uh, we see that Ashura has actually led Kinemon and Dogstorm to 
kind of a ship graveyard. Uh, there's a whole bunch of ships that they've managed to salvage from the ports that uh, were kind of just uh, destroyed them. And so sure has actually been uh, working for the last 20 years uh, while waiting for uh, their return. Uh, then we cut into Onigashima where it's time for big mom to get to meet Kaido. And oddly enough, she is the prisoner of the beast pirates, but they're still bringing her food. She's bound up in steel chains and there's, you know, King and Jack and queen are all there, but just, just keep bringing her food. I guess they're terrified of her. She says something interesting while they're just sitting there waiting. Uh, and queen is like, what the fuck else was I supposed to do but bring her here? I didn't have a signal that I could give. Uh, but she says of King, uh, I'll forget what you did yesterday, referring to him, you know, knocking their ship away. If you come and join us, because there are still three races I don't have in my country. One of them might have been lost in the mists of time, but you're still alive. Mm. So presumably some sort of like angel thing with his wings and of course king just like fuck off you know yeah. uh so big mom is just like oh well then take off these cuffs then <laughs> set me free if you're not gonna join my family then uh but kaido comes in that moment and he says what are you doing release her uh and he says yo you've shown your face at last and uh she looks down and is like hey he told you to let me go. And one of the men's like, you must have been joking, right? And Kaido's like, take him off. And she gets up, summons her sword, Napoleon, and immediately they start fighting. And we get that big shot of you know, the sky splitting like we saw Whitebeard and Shanks do uh, forever ago. And, uh, of course, all of Kaido's men, well, most of them are freaking out. I uh, think they need to evacuate because they're going to destroy everything around them. So there we go. It's a very cool moment. Um, I'm still wondering how that like it made sense with like the big mom stuff leading to like the prison escape stuff before. I'm mm -hmm. kind of curious. I thought that was the way to write her out. So I am curious to see how they proceed from here. Yeah, um, this chapter didn't do a whole lot for me. I did. I, but I did really like the moment of Robin and Usopp and Brooks sneaking by. It made me laugh. So. Yeah. All right, Chris. It's that time of the month again. It's time for World Trigger. World Trigger! It's uh, chapters 182 and 183, Tomacoma Branch Part 6, and Tomacoma Branch Part 7. So, makes it easy enough. Uh, these are basically the last two chapters we get before the final Brink Wars battle. Uh, and I have to say, there's a lot of stuff that happens in this. I mean, a lot of planning for Tomacoma's team. Uh, some interesting ideas are brought up. I started to get really impatient while reading these chapters, Chris. <laughs> it, it, it's it, rough when you only get two a month. And yeah. then there was the month where we didn't get any. So you're mm -hmm. like, oh, God, I just want to get to this fucking fight. Fight. fight! <laughs> There's some interesting stuff that they do as they're planning. Uh, they bring up in the meeting, or Chica does, that, yeah, she's, she's going to try and shoot normal bullets as opposed to just her lead ones. Uh, they spend time talking about, you know, Yuba. They spend time, a lot of time talking about, uh, freaking Nina Mia's bullets and how, uh, Hughes actually flat out admits. He says like, if we get into just a one-on-one, -on -one, then he would probably 
beat me if we got into his attack strategy because he's got the two types of bullets in order to properly defend myself i would need to employ two different shields and if both of my hands are using shields i can't use my triggers to attack i'd have to just be going full defense and he would slowly chip away at me uh so yotaro is like well couldn't you use an offensive trigger in each hand and fight back that way and he's like i could but then it would be whoever can strike first. And also if I'm going just pure offense, then someone's going to attack me while I'm undefended to take me out. And uh, Osama, when he hears this, remember something that was said uh, about basically the same way. And they point out that in the previous match, whenever Nino Mio was not 100% certain of when, where enemy snipers were, he always kept one hand free to defend himself. He only attacked with one hand. So, they say, like, let's just not come do a one-on-one match. Let's not get it to uh, allow that. That's the point where Chica announces that she's going to use regular uh, sniper bullets. But Osamu has some doubts about this, even though, like, everyone's like, all right, that's great. Let's do it. He's just kind of like, ah, I don't know. I don't think that Chica's lying, but okay, listen. I will decide on the timing of Chica's shots. We can't have you panicking and firing all over the place. So it seems like this is going to be a big thing that comes into play in this battle is the the, the proper moment and if Chica's able to execute. Uh, They also bring up the whole thing of like, okay, well, we're still going to need to defend Chica if she gets into a firefight with Nina Mia. Um, Hughes is like, I should do that, but we're not going to be able to rendezvous necessarily. and at that point, Yuiga, uh, I keep calling him Yuiga. Osamu gets an idea. He says he wants to try it out in the meeting room, and they call up Karasuma. And they call Karasuma in, and they're like, we want you to act as a dummy Ninomiya. And so he's like, okay. Uh, he There's an interesting detail of, like, it's his turn to cook, so we have to call up Konami so that she'll cook for the team instead. And she's like, fine, since I'm such a great person, I'll do it. Um, because Konami's great, you know. I do like the detail that he actually dresses like Nina Mia when uh, he goes into the practice with the, you know, ridiculous suit with the tails and everything. Ridiculous, Nick. It's the coolest outfit in the series. How dare you? It is not. Uh, and uh, they also have modified his try on and uh, triggers and stuff so that he can actually properly act as Nina Mia. And uh, sure enough, uh, he starts kicking uh, Hughes' ass. So they're like, huh, okay. But uh, Carson was like, okay, why are you doing this? Shouldn't you be trying specifically to avoid getting into this one-on-one confrontation? I mean, if you want to get the advantage, you want to stop him from going into full-out attack mode. And Osamu says, that's what I thought at first, too. But now I see things differently because when up against a single opponent, Ninomiya's full attack is overwhelmingly powerful. But on the other hand, it represents a moment where he's guaranteed to be undefended. So we should get set up for a point where it's a one-on-one fight, create those openings in his defense so that someone can pop out and attack him. Also, every time that someone should pop out and attack him by surprise is illustrated in these little illustrations while they're explaining things. The person popping out comes out of a cardboard box. Because that's the perfect hiding spot. Yeah, no one expects the cardboard box. You just look like a cardboard box in this like you know concrete jungle, just a cardboard box in the middle of the field. Hey, if it worked for like four different Metal Gear Solid games, then it it's good enough for World Trigger. Absolutely. Um, and so th- they're 
they discussed this and like, and Carson was like, you know, I know what you're getting at here, but what if Nunami is not going to fall for it? I mean, you know, they're the number one ranked squad. Why would they have a reason to take the bait and give Hughes this one-on-one fair fight? And Osama says that it would be true of Ninomiya's squad, but Ninomiya himself could be a different story. He says he doesn't really have any guarantee uh, of this, but he thinks to himself of the barbecue meeting that they had uh, when, you know, like Hadahara got brought up. The other members of the squad were like, yeah, you know, they accepted it. But then Ninomiya himself kind of acted more emotional about it when bringing it up. And so he thinks that even though he seems this cold hearted person, that he might be pretty irrational. So he thinks that Ninomiya would take this chance and let his guard down if he saw an opportunity for a one-on-one. He would accept the risks. That is what he thinks is going to happen. So they have Curry. Yuma's like, hey, your curry is great, Konami. And she's like, of course it is. Uh, they say that they're going to spend a bit more time uh, working on strategy. Uh, Chica and Hughes need to train their team moves. Konami says that she's going to be on commentary for the match. Awesome. Uh, and that's it. They're like, let's do this. And we just get a time passage pa- uh, page saying it's time for the B-Rank Wars round eight night division final battle. So we're doing it. It's going to happen, Nick. There can't. The next chapter somehow cannot be about them discussing this upcoming fight. It actually has to happen. We'll see. If like the next chapter starts and there's black borders around the page and it's like earlier that day. God damn it. <laughs> I'm going to lose my mind. So it's interesting. One thing that I've noted is that in the build up to this fight, we've had absolutely zero focus at all on a coma. Um, yeah. Which maybe because they bring it up. They bring him up offhandedly in these two chapters because they're like, while they've got Karasuma there and they're talking about his ability to mimic other people, they're like, can you do a coma slash thing? He's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so part of me wonders if it's because a coma squad really doesn't need to be developed too much more. Like we kind of know the one thing about them. A coma's awesome. Uh, right. And that's about it. <laughs> but part of me also wonders by not showing them, are we going to get something more in my mind? I think it's the former because I also think about how last time they made such a big deal about a fucking uh, what's it? Um, Susanari one. And then Susanari one came up with this big strategy and then it got like clowned out of the fight almost immediately. So in my mind, it might fall to that. Like we, we got in all this stuff about Yoba and how like, talented and skilled he is so this is the thing for him akuma is going to be in there being wacky and goofy but maybe their squad's like kind of the one that isn't super duper significant plus they have fought the akuma squad before and akuma was not a big factor in that fight um they were not one of the top ranking teams in it and also an Ikoma planning session would not really accomplish much because they just see it though. It's so like funny. Every single, every single day they meet up and they're like, "What should we work on today? What do you guys think of that new girl in the squad? Like, I think she looks pretty co- cool. I think I'm gonna ask her out. Ask her what kind of curry she likes." <laughs> I mean, it's like, how do we handle just for so? hours talking about nothing? What do you guys think of the ending to the Spider-Man film? <laughs> they're like, which one? There's been like eight. You just said the Spider-Man film. 
First thing, I don't know about the way that ended. Do you think they're going to make a fourth one? Oh, hang on. Hang, which one is he talking yeah, about? Is he talking I'll... about MCU or is he talking about the Raimi voice? <laughs> what are you considering a Spider-Man film? Is it any film that has Spider-Man in it? Or <laughs> has he seen them all? Which ones has he seen? He's like, don't think, I think it's weird they did the Green Goblin three times. <laughs> also, Spider-Man keeps on like getting younger. <laughs> It's weird. Uncle Ben came back and died again. You'd think he'd know the second time through. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's going to do it for World Trigger. Uh, and that wraps it up for this week. What were your favorites of the, of the, of the manga this week, Chris? Um, hmm. So my MVP I'm going to give to Osamu. Because mm. I was actually super impressed and excited that Osamu had that moment where he was like, I think actually we can get Ninomiya. I think he's actually more rational than he seems. Like it was a really cool moment for him to have figured that out. Like nobody else gave him that hint or said anything like that. That was like a little tidbit that Osamu kind of figured out. I really like that. Um, I can definitely see that for, Chapter of the week, I, I'm honestly kind of at a place where nothing really stood out super well. I don't um, think that anything was really super huge uh, this week. And there was no chapter that I was like, yes. So um, I think I'm going to give it, I think, to Seven Deadly Sins just because I really do like the like excitement of that chapter. But I don't know if it's like I don't think it's my favorite chapter of the week. It, like. It's probably the best chapter of the week. I don't know if like mm -hmm. I can say too much more, though. Uh, I'm going to give my chapter of the week to the last Sayuki. Uh, I, I think that it had the best ending of uh, any series this week. In general, I think that it was a kind of a week uh, in terms of like a lot of things are just kind of unexceptional uh, this week. There's not a lot of standouts, but of the ones that did that, I think, had the biggest and most emotional impact on me. Uh, for, uh, character, I am going to give it to, uh, Kirisu because even though she didn't really do a whole lot in a chapter that was supposedly about her, I, that one little moment where she actually like, kind of like lets the guard down and just wishes everyone to have a, to pass their exams was really sweet yeah. and I liked it. So, so, uh, it's worth noting the audience, uh, picked world trigger as their favorite chapter of the week. And then it was Shigaraki, who was MVP. Mm, and people are noting now that there's no jump next week. So impromptu, what we may do, because we have a recommendation. Perhaps what we could do next week is we do a recommendation for the start, and then maybe we'll do a Q&A as the rest of the episode. Because mm, we haven't got like a Q&A in a little bit. Yeah, we'll do something uh, next week that's uh, like we normally do. Maybe we'll, I don't know break out some sort of game or but q a sounds good too yeah something like that so guys thank you for joining us for week manga recap we record the show around 7 30 to 8 eastern time on wednesdays every single week here on twitch.tv slash smashcast.tv slash sometimes we do need to change things up in regards to that and you can stay updated by following us on twitter in case we need to go and let you know about that uh, he is at Rolo T. I am at Nick F. Time. And our podcast account is at WMR Podcast, where eh, even if you don't really get word ahead of time, once you see that gift pop up, then you know that uh, the recording has started. Yeah, then you know what shit's about to get mm -hmm. real. 
You can check out our past episodes as well in a bunch of different places with KimagoRecap.Podbean.com, YouTube, iTunes, that kind of thing. Make sure you leave comments, rate, subscribe, all that good stuff. Help the algorithm. Help us rise to the top of the hobby section, dethrone the woodworkers that have a tyrannical reign over us all. I don't even know what's at the top of the hobby section. It's probably just like 50 woodworkers above it's, us. It, it's probably like one of the Mac of McAvoy brothers, the Mac, whatever they are, whatever those guys are. They McAvoy. have a pocket. like James McAvoy, no, the well, actor. It, like, there's like there's like six brothers or something like that that do like a thousand podcasts. I don't know, Chris. I don't know. <laughs> People bring them up and I, I had to sit here and I'm like. Is, are they one of those new big YouTube stars like a, a Jojo Siwa or something like that? I don't know who she is either, but she showed up in my heads up game and I had to look her up afterwards. <laughs> anyway, I bet it's one of those podcasts at the top. If you want to answer some questions, you can send those in a couple of different places. Uh, you can put them in the Discord, maybe. Uh, but we also have, of course, weekly manga recap at yahoo.com. Uh, Speaking of the Discord server, there's a bunch of different activities that our followers get up to, uh, including, of course, NinjaX3i maintains a big-ass spreadsheet where you can check out series that have been recommended to us. You can add in your own recommendations. You can see series we've already covered. You can talk about stuff that uh, you want nominated for the year-end uh, supplement rewards. All kinds of good things. Keep in mind that uh, Sadistic September is coming up next month so if you have an idea for a really bad series that you want us to take a look back look at that would be appropriate for that kind of coverage uh that's a good place to put it special thanks go out to our patreon supporters your support allows great fun bonus content for you guys to enjoy and of course thanks to steve manor talk artist infamous plan for the stuff that you do and uh winsley l cheddar and milo stilitz uh youtube.com slash winsley l cheddar twitter uh, not sound, not Twitter, SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash Milo dash Jack dash Stillitz for the opening sequence of the show. Damn straight. Yeah. And by the way, guys, so uh, if you haven't checked it out, I, I do. I'm, I'm part of a podcast called Dice Funk that a lot of people I think know of. But we just recently put out a one shot where I DM and Nick is a player. That's right. We're playing sports, kind of. That kind of. It was a great session, uh, and it has, if it gets, <laughs> if it gets good feedback, the next session that we do possibly will be completely different from yeah. the previous. So it was originally they were supposed to be playing sports, and then uh, no spoilers know, to the direction it takes, but it won't be sports next time. No, it seems like time I think they're, they're solving crimes or something like that. So if you guys like it. Go check out the episode. Go leave a comment on it. Retweet it. Basically, just show that you enjoyed it. Uh, and if people enjoy it, then we'll we'll try to make more of those and, and have some more wacky fun. So go check that out. You can find it on YouTube, youtube.com slash DiceFunk, uh, austinyorski.podbean.com, uh, and just type DiceFunk Rally Ball. You'll find it. It's out there. Please make us play our stupid as fuck athletes do something other than professional sports. Yeah, I, I want to see how Nick's uh, Brett Favre parody <laughs> evolves into having to tackle new genres. No, I don't do tackles. I, I'm a quarterback. No. <laughs> see, exactly. We need more of that. So go check that out, guys. Uh, that's going to do it for Week of Manga Recap this week, everybody. Thanks for ch- tuning in. We'll see you next time. Catch ya. Goodbye.